0: There was an idea.
1: Ormamo, I come to bargain.
2: Before we
0: get started,
1: does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses
0: standing in a circle. Asking Robbins always finds out.
2: I'm for the faster baby.
0: Are you Tony's stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembler Required at MCU Retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, and now episode by episode. I am your host, Eduardo. What a fun ride it has been. We are back together again, ready to talk all about <laughs> Daredevil in its, uh, again. In its and glory. We, we and we I have assembled... Again a blind battalion of bros to talk all about daredevil with me oh, suddenly you've all lost your eyesight uh i've got ravi chris and peaches here what's going
1: on guys do we have to do this one with our
3: eyes closed yes why are we even in the discord call then <laughs> <laughs> you
0: yeah memorize the the uh well there are certain times where matt murdoch takes off it like He's like laying in the dumpster at the beginning of episode two and he takes off his mask. Why did he do that?
1: Right.
3: Did he need to see better? <laughs> I mean, it's probably warm under there. His eyes probably were warm.
4: I think Speaking it's just someone because... someone who
3: wears a mask a lot more than I ever thought I would, sometimes <laughs> you just want to take it off for
2: room.
4: <laughs> I just think Matt Murdock doesn't let people tell him what to do and he takes off the mask to express his freedom as an individual. That That's is true. Point. I didn't think about that. Oh, boy. I mean, when you think about it, his mask is BS and
1: isn't doing anything. And he does work with a Karen.
3: <laughs> Assembly required officially endorses wearing a mask, everyone. I just feel like I should. Throw and that it up.
4: goes over your nose.
3: Yes. And your mouth. Why does that have to be said? Yeah. Not your eyes, unless you're Daredevil. <laughs>
0: Does his mask in COVID just cover his whole head? Yeah. <laughs> like, right, like if Daredevil's out in a pandemic right now, does it just, just something he, over?
3: Like He's wearing a ski mask, but he's wearing it backwards.
1: Why isn't there like an Instagram, or maybe there is, or a Snapchat filter that puts surgical masks over people. And we could have watched Daredevil through the lens of the Instagram filter and just watched him wear double masks everywhere. Double masks. Someone invent this, memes. please, or point it out to us.
0: Well, before we start the show, there there is some, uh, some Marvel news that I think we need to cover on this show. I think it's important that we do. Um, unfortunately, due to a pretty closed, under wraps, um, four-year battle with colon cancer, Chadwick Boseman um, left us earlier this week. He's a uh, he passed on and it's it's absolutely devastating it is he's he was one of those actors that just sort of you could tell he was a good person and not just by the roles that he plays but by but by his actions by the things that he did and if you go and look up any interview and you put it under the lens of him battling cancer during those interviews you'll find a whole new respect for him there was a whole interview um, that i saw that he did um talking about black panther and during that all he could care about were a couple of kids that were not able to see black panther because they lost their lives to cancer and it's incredible for somebody to while they're making this franchise that's clearly making them a star to be focusing on something like that instead is you can tell he was um he was special and he will be missed and you know he's uh <clears throat> he's always gonna be um. He's always gonna be immortal in our eyes.
3: Well yeah. said. Yeah. I I don't know about you guys. This one hit me so hard. Yep. Celebrity deaths don't always, and this one, I was knocked out for the rest of the night. Really, just I couldn't think about anything else. Watching some of those interviews, the one you mentioned, Eduardo, where he's talking about. The, the kids who 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 passed on from cancer and he gets very emotional in that interview and knowing now what we didn't know then what what he was going through and same thing when you see pictures of him visiting saint jude's and other children's hospitals i mean, to know that he can empathize with those children in a way that most people can't I mean, it really... And it it, it changes your perspective. And he was such a thoughtful actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, If you haven't seen it, I, I sent it to the guys earlier, I highly recommend you read Ryan Coogler's statement. Uh, Ryan Coogler, the director of Black Panther. Um, he wrote a really long letter, I, I guess you could call it, uh, talking about his relationship with Chadwick Boseman. And, uh, you know, he, he was cast by the Russos for Civil War. And he said that he said, I inherited the casting of Chadwick Boseman, and it's the greatest gift I've ever been given. And he talks about the long conversations they had. And and sometimes you don't realize how much an actor contributes to to their film like, uh, he was the one who said that the Wakandans had to dance during the coronation scene. He said, if they just stand there with spears, what separates them from Romans? He And this is the one that, that blew my mind. Uh, the line that we talked about for so long in our Black Panther episode. About, uh, you know, bear me at sea uh, with my brothers who knew it was better uh, to die than live in bondage. That was his idea. Uh, the original early draft of the script Killmonger asked to be buried in Wakanda and Chadwick Boseman said what if he has to be buried somewhere else and that's, we've got that going so the contributions he made to that entire film not just through his incredible performance as that character uh, I mean he just exuded a, a a regal sense in everything he did uh, and you know some of the legends that he's played beyond T'Challa I mean we talked so much about Jackie Robinson last in our last episode we didn't I don't think we even brought up the fact that Chadwick Boseman played him in 42 and lost his life on Jackie Robinson day yes lost his life on Jackie Robinson day uh, as as we discussed Jackie Robinson day last week and here's something sad that I didn't realize Jackie Robinson's widow is still alive yes and she's outlived now both Jackie Robinson and the much younger actor who played him I saw some pictures of them together and I don't know. It just seemed like there was a lot of love there too. Um, I feel like one thing I wrote down when watching these Daredevil episodes is, Hey, they quote Thurgood Marshall who, uh, who he also played. <laughs> it, it's just such a loss for how much he meant to so many people. I mean, if he meant this much to us and we talked about Black Panther, it's cultural reach beyond uh it, you know, especially in the in the black community, uh, you know, and he had such a career ahead of him. you know he he had directing in his future, he had awards in his future. Um, but even even with his career cut tragically short, iron mean, he he's made an impact that will last generations.
0: So let's get into this episode. We're talking about Daredevil today, guys. And Robbie, hit us up with some uh, with some Daredevil character background.
2: Yeah,
4: um, I don't know how not to make this transition uh, sudden. So um, the history of Daredevil, the man without fear. Um, Stop me if you've heard this one before. But Daredevil's foundations were in 1964 created by... Uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, um, uh, which it's crazy to me how much in 1963 and 64 how many famous characters the two of them introduced to the world. Um, just like almost everyone we discussed on this podcast was created by Stan Lee, um, and his artists in 1963 and 64. Kirby did not, by the way, do the original, um, art for or, or didn't do the first, um, the art on the first series in daredevil but he did design the character and did the first cover um stanley did the writing um the daredevil is the man without fear he is matt murdoch um, and when matt murdoch was a young boy he pushed a blind man out of the way of an oncoming truck uh, the truck crashed spilled chemicals out the chemicals hit uh young matt murdoch and blinded him um but at the same time that it blinded him they heightened his other senses uh so daredevil is blind, but able to basically see with a radar sense. Um, So uh, great hearing, great smell, great sense of uh, touch. Um, So he's able to do uh, crazy things despite not having vision. Uh, And in his day job, he's also a hero. He uh, is an attorney, um, a defense attorney, working with Murdoch and Nelson, or Nelson and Murdoch, working with his friend Foggy Nelson, Um, The two of them uh, represent uh, innocent people. Uh, Matt Murdock uses his ability to sense people's heart rate to tell whether or not they're truly innocent. Basically, he gives them human lie detector tests and represents um, those who need it. Um, There are some important people uh, that are kind of going to show up, and so I bring them up quickly because they're going to start showing up in this series. Um, Some recurring characters in the Daredevil circle. Um, There's his secretary, Karen Page, um, and a lot of Karen Page's history is a, a sort of a love triangle. At first, she was Matt Murdock's girlfriend for a long time. She was also Foggy Nelson's girlfriend for some time, um, and also their longtime secretary. Um, his uh, original nemesis was the financier and investor Leland Owsley, who becomes the Owl, um, who, which is a supervillain, uh, super which his power is that he ingests a serum that gives him the ability to float temporarily. Uh, and then he puts razor talons on his fingers to become
3: (laughs) i can temporarily
4: float uh and so he's
1: um he's a great ghost at halloween parties yeah basically
4: he's a corrupt wall street dude who ends up just becoming a a crime boss um but a crime boss with the theme he really leans into the owlsley part and becomes the owl um and uh i'm
1: thinking of the actor that plays leland Right. just like right. floating now
4: <laughs> i cannot <laughs> like imagine the it talons attached to his fingers yeah
1: um and there's a
4: lot of overlap between daredevil and spider-man the two end up working together a lot especially in the 60s and 70s and as a result there's also a lot of overlap between their villains so owsley was originally a uh, or the owl was originally a daredevil villain spent a lot of time as daredevil's kind of first nemesis um and obviously leland owsley is in this show as we'll get to uh, but the Owl is also very recognized as a Spider-Man villain. Spent a lot of time with Spider-Man as well. Uh, in the 70s... Like a less age... interesting vulture. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he turned
1: turn his head almost all the way. You know,
4: my first, <laughs> my first awareness of the Owl was in... They had um, a Spider-Man video game for the Super Nintendo, which was based on the animated series. But that game is just chock full of tons and tons and tons of of villains. And one of them is the Owl. And I remember that was my mm-hmm. first experience with the Owl. And my reaction was just... Wait, why does this exist when Vulture exists? Because it's actually a Daredevil villain. Uh, in sure, the seventies, they introduced to fight. yeah. In the seventies, they introduced um, one of the most popular Daredevil villains, which was Bullseye. Um, Bullseye is basically an assassin that does not miss. Sounds boring, but he's actually cool. Um, Daredevil's original costume was yellow and red. Uh, that only lasted for a year, but it was made from the robes of his um, his father. His father was a boxer. Who, who was supposed to throw a fight to make money and refused because Matt, his son, was watching and he wanted to make him proud. So he refused and then the gangsters that rigged the fight shot him. Um, so uh, Matt took his father's robe, yellow and red robe, and made a costume out of it, um, which that yellow and red robe is seen in the show as a, as a nice Easter egg. Uh, within a year, though, he transitioned to the Daredevil costume we all know and love. Um, let's see he from 1871 to 1875 the daredevil comics so the daredevil comic started in 1971 to 1975 not 1871 uh the daredevil comic was actually called the old yeah,
3: the marvel's <laughs> marvel's first superhero was
4: actually daredevil and black widow for a long time for um five years uh huh. he shared building with black widow and they were basically a um Uh, uh, buddy superhero team and that's actually my original awareness of Black Widow was reading old Daredevil comics. Um, I read some Avengers and for some reason I have no memory of Black Widow in the Avengers but I remember her as being I thought she was Daredevil's sidekick and then I found out there was more to Black Widow but um, but yeah Um, so Daredevil was originally very popular uh, then started to decline in popularity in the 70s and they hired a new artist um, named Frank Miller to start doing the art for Daredevil uh, Frank Miller, of course, would go on to be extremely famous, uh, doing Dark Knight Returns, uh, Batman Year One, 300, Sin City, um, and, but he started with Daredevil. Well, he started elsewhere, but Daredevil was like his first big publication. Uh, within a few years, Frank Miller convinced Marvel to make him the author of Daredevil as well, and that was when Daredevil experienced a resurgence in popularity. Uh, and that's kind of the high-water mark of Daredevil is it was a very, very important and influential comic in the 80s, largely because of Frank Miller. Now, you'll be shocked to know that Frank Miller's take on Daredevil was extremely gritty and cynical. Um, <laughs> and I think it's very interesting. Um, I, I would say maybe cynical to a fault. And the 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 fictional adaptations of Frank Miller's work in like the Batman adaptations and this Daredevil adaptation... Aren't as cynical as Frank Miller, but they're clearly very, very inspired. The dark the, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy is clearly inspired by Frank Miller. And this this series is also very inspired by Frank Miller and let yet uh, kind of us choose some of his, his darker tendencies at the same time.
1: The comic is grittier than the show? Oh, way, way, way grittier. Way grittier. The show is like maximum grit. <laughs> no, so so one I'll give you one example.
4: Um he retconned a lot of things in Daredevil's life. And one of them was the origin story of Daredevil's father or or the, the background of Daredevil's father, Matt, Matt Murdock's father, um, Jack. Frank Miller made it so that he was an abusive father, that he was violent towards Matt and, and, you know, really kind of and got what he was coming to him when he was killed, which is just kind of unnecessary. Um, That's just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he also made he just made Daredevil very... As, he, as Frank Miller likes to do, he made him an anti-hero, but kind of an anti-hero who with fairly redeeming values. Um, so sort of the, I would say that the show is more violent than Frank Miller could get away with in a comic book, but it's also more hopeful and uplifting than Frank Miller ever
1: likes to be. It is strange to imagine <laughs> taking Daredevil, who is a superhero and a lawyer, right. and making him an anti-hero. Yes, correct. <laughs>
0: Um, it also makes sense because as watching this several times, I was like, this is like incredibly Batman adjacent. Oh, yeah. And... Yes.
1: That's. It makes sense now, doesn't it? You mean, yeah. you, you, mean the part, you mean the part. Sorry to skip way ahead where he's holding the Russian dude over the building and going. Yes. Where is she? <laughs> yeah.
4: And I, I remember when I was watching this series, I was thinking there needs to be a Batman series that is this like this is what we need. We need a Batman that's this, but. I'm sure we'll bring that up again. Um, a couple big, important changes that Frank Miller made, or, or introductions he made. Uh, he took the Spider-Man villain, the Kingpin, and basically turned him into Daredevil's um, top adversary. So Kingpin had already been around for a couple decades uh, when he was introduced into Daredevil's circle. Um, but then he became darede- basically Daredevil's arch nemesis. Which It's very interesting that Kingpin is primarily a Spider-Man villain, and yet is Daredevil's primary villain. He just fits very, very well with Daredevil, um, which I, I've always thought is extremely interesting. He also introduced, in the 80s, um, he wanted there to be ninjas in the Daredevil comics, so he put ninjas in the Daredevil comics. He introduced a uh, a, uh, a mentor for Daredevil, for Matt Murdock, named Stick, who was from The Chaste, which is a, a clan of secret ninjas. Um, so Daredevil's fighting com- skills became... Um, martial arts uh, and then their adversaries were the evil mystical ninja group the hand led by the immortal Nobu Yoshioka um, and that was a major part of the Daredevil comics and as I, we will probably discuss in more detail in a future episode all of that stuff right there all of that inspired Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Foot Clan and literally in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a side note um, the origin story of the Ninja Turtles is the, the goo that hits Matt Murdock and makes him blind. That's the mutagen that seeps, seeps into the, uh, the sewers and creates the Ninja Turtles. The, the Mirage Ninja the Turtles comics are supposed to be adjacent to Daredevil. Um, oh, and uh, Frank Miller also introduced Daredevil's uh, short-lived girlfriend, Elektra, um, who was formerly a part of the Hand, then became an assassin, and then was his girlfriend, and then was killed by Bullseye
3: um and then she got a movie and she got a movie
2: and,
3: and no one saw it correct um
4: so after miller left daredevil became more lighthearted. Uh, despite his most popular depictions daredevil's kind of a, a light-hearted witty character like like spider-man usually not quite like spider-man but you know that level of kind of um of wittiness uh frank miller didn't like that um he has since been back to that what's important about daredevil is he has had an ongoing comic since 1964 A lot of the characters we've talked about on the show, they, you know, other than Spider-Man, they tend to sometimes, sometimes they get canceled. Sometimes they fade. They've had multiple different runs with long um, droughts between them. Daredevil remains, and for a long time was, I think the MCU has kind of changed this. But before the films, Daredevil was one of the most popular comic book characters in the world. Uh, That's, he was never an Avenger until 2011. And that's because, as we've discussed, the Avengers are mostly four kind of second-tier characters. Um, Daredevil is now very well known for the Defenders. In the comics, Daredevil was not a Defender until they needed to fit the Defenders TV show. So Daredevil is a very recent member of the Defenders because he's always been able to carry his own comic. So it's very weird to me that as popular as Daredevil is, he has not had that much presence in other media. Um, it's interesting that he didn't get a movie. He got this television series, a fantastic television series. But that's all... He got a movie in 2003 with Ben Affleck, which we're not going to talk about. Um, We're just going to move on and pretend it didn't happen. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, But to be fair, it did happen. Yeah, it did happen. And there's not a lot of early superhero movies.
4: Right. And I think that's... and, And I think you make a good point. I think that's a testament to Daredevil's popularity that that movie happened when there weren't... Superhero movies weren't happening as often that time. And I'm guessing that that movie is part of why... It didn't happen again. I, I think that film kinda yeah. tainted the Daredevil waters, which is very unfortunate because well, I think it's an X. Even character.
1: after that, they even after that they still made Elektra, which is like the spin-off movie, and even right. that was even worse. Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty mad
4: at that film because Daredevil's yeah. one of my favorite characters, and I think that kind of ruined things. Fortunately this series mm-hmm. is great, but it's also makes me sad that the series is not part of the MCU. But um, so yeah, that's the Daredevil background. Um
3: yeah, and and this was this came about when Fox lost the rights after not using right. Daredevil, right? That was and I remember hearing reports that they were they were working on a on a reboot Daredevil movie that they just could not get off the ground. And I think at one point and this might have just been rumor and speculation, Marvel Studios offered to Fox, "We'll extend your Daredevil if you give us Galactus." That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, all comes to Disney in the end. Am I wrong if I'd uh, rather have
4: Daredevil uh, than
1: Galactus?
3: <laughs> I, I don't think you're wrong. But, you know. But, poor, Galactus poor would be very Derek,
1: so. hard to put into a movie. Right. Even with, even with like, Dormammu having been introduced in Doctor Strange and, like, kind of cosmic entities existing, I feel like Galactus would be really difficult to pull off.
3: I mean, I've I've made it no secret that the, really the only Fox properties that I actually cared about, Marvel Studios getting their hands on were Galactus and the Silver Surfer, and and Doom. Um, yeah, Doctor Doom's the, one the Fantastic one. Four. I guess come along with them, but it's, it's Doom, Galactus, and the Silver Surfer. MCU just handles Silver Surfer is one of my favorite so well. heroes.
4: Yeah, the MCU just well, handles Doom yeah. so well. I constantly want to see how they handle Doctor Doom.
3: Yes, I didn't like
0: how they got how they got Gambit. He's got the cods. <laughs> The cards will tell what do you
3: do you, th- you th- throw yeah.
0: them really
1: hard <laughs> what are you gonna do if we're fighting sentinels and we're not in the paper plate aisle of a target <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: uh if you guys haven't seen the x-men the pete holmes like youtube series it is fantastic the gambit one's really good the wolverine one is really good
1: yeah <laughs> We reference it like every episode somehow, so you should
3: probably yeah. have watched those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those and those his Batman ones, too. Yes. Yeah. The Batman. Where are the other drugs going?
1: <laughs> like Xavier Fires the X-Men is, is what the, that yeah. series is called. Yeah. Those Scary really face.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the first two episodes.
3: I'm oh, sorry, I had one more thing. A big change in Daredevil's backstory that just happened this week. Uh, if you have not read Daredevil Annual Number 1, go ahead and skip ahead by a minute. Uh, I wanted to share this, though. I just saw this today. Um, <laughs> Mike Murdoch. Uh, okay, so Matt Murdoch. It's like of Mike his- Murdoch. No, no, well, that's that, a thing. That's,
2: Keep
3: going. Go. that's a thing. And and that's why Claire calls him Mike in, in the second mm-hmm. episode. Um, but Matt Murdoch, as part of his cover story for his secret identity, he made up that he had a twin brother named Mike mm-hmm. Murdoch. Um, so, let me see if I can get this right. Okay. Um, I don't know exactly what happened a few years ago. This article that I'm looking at doesn't explain it. It says, in an accident of superpowers a few years ago, a living, fully adult Mike Murdoch was created (laughs) with full awareness that he was an accidental human copy of a flimsy lie. This week, in, um the daredevil annual number one mike murdoch stole an asgardian artifact and a book of magic put them together retroactively created his own life as his actual real life twin brother who has existed for his entire life <laughs> and he and so there's a whole new backstory now where mike was around um for the uh, uh for the accident where matt went blind Then Matt went off to college to get his law degree and Mike stayed in the neighborhood and started hustling for supervillains. And his best friend and partner in crime is Wilson Fisk's son. Oh, hell yeah. Because comic books.
4: (laughs) Also, for the record, the reason he had to create the Mike persona is because Spider-Man accidentally spilled his secret identity. Because Peter Parker is an incredibly intelligent idiot.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Daredevil and and Spider-Man work together Uh, a fair amount, right? Yeah, I mean, they're both New York City street level Right, right. It's the whole street
4: level thing. Even though, as we discussed, Spider-Man's power set is actually way beyond street level. He's written as street level. Mm -hmm. Daredevil is perfectly a street level character, so they just kind of combine. Yeah. Where were you
0: guys first introduced to Daredevil?
4: Ben Affleck.
3: (laughs)
0: Um,
3: Yeah, I think that was the first time I was aware of him, and I never even saw that movie. I
4: got an action figure in the... Probably the early '90s, maybe the late '80s of Daredevil that I thought was really cool, and it turned me on to the character.
0: Did it now? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> For
0: me, I feel like I bring this up every episode, and I'm just starting to realize how much this shaped my childhood. But I first <laughs> learned about Daredevil in the Spider-Man animated series That's fantastic, because he course. was a part. He was a part of the Spider-Man animated series, and I can relate every time you say it. So. <laughs>
1: I didn't start liking him until Marvel Avengers Alliance. If you want to bring up another thing, I bring up.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: All right. So today we're going to be discussing the first two episodes, Into the Ring and Cutman. They're both written by Drew Goddard and directed by Phil Abraham. We'll Drew Goddard,
3: its- by the way, um, just he's great. He was co-writer and director of Cabin in the Woods. Oh. Uh, which is my favorite horror movie probably same um he he was a writer on angel um and Ooh. maybe buffy, maybe buffy but definitely angel um, which is why he co-wrote cabin in the woods with joss whedon uh producer and directed a few episodes of the good place as well Ooh. um and i believe he directed uh cloverfield too oh wow not cloverfield too clover uh clover lane electric no, the, the fir- yeah cloverfield with the giant monster the, re- the really, really good one. Uh, but yeah, John I was very excited when I heard that he was... No, John, no, that's <laughs> the second one. <laughs> um, uh, oh, he wrote on Alias and Lost as well. Um, but yeah, I remember being pretty excited when I heard that he was going to be uh, involved with Daredevil. Interesting. Yeah. He was also supposed to be directing the Sinister Six movie that never happened, so... Uh, <sighs> well, I'm sure he would have yeah. done his best. One day. Oh, he, I'm sorry, he wrote Cloverfield. He didn't direct it. We'll get a Sinister Six one day.
0: I thought we already got that in the Spider-Man, right. the PS4 game, so I'm all set. Right, which
4: was the best Spider-Man yeah. movie. I said
0: it already.
3: Alright, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, I, you're fine. I, that's good stuff. I know that's the earliest I've ever interrupted you. Uh, I mean, you got tec- two words in.
0: <laughs> Technically, you interrupted me earlier, but that's okay. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> uh start off with episode one synopsis uh a man walking down a new york street finds a traffic accident and is horrified to see his young son maddie injured laying in the middle of the wreckage as the man attends to his screaming son a stranger indicates maddie pushed him out of the way of an oncoming car saving the man's life nearby barrels of toxic chemicals have been dumped on maddie's face while his father tries to wipe his eyes maddie murdoch loses his vision After the flashback, Matt Murdock sits down to confession with a priest. Murdock tells a story of his father who was a boxer who could take a punch without being phased. He explains his father would sometimes go into a fit of rage and pummel his opponent. He calls it letting the devil out. He says he didn't understand at the time, but now he does. When the priest asks Matt Murdock what he is confessing for, Murdock says it's not about for anything he's done, but for what he's about to do now chris mm-hmm. we're gonna start with you very early okay uh, yeah we bring it into confessional here but there is <laughs> and uh since this is your first real time viewing the show it's, i don't think it's a spoiler to say that it, it, matt murdoch's faith is sort of a theme throughout the entire series uh and they put it on display here right at the very beginning i think this was like a central thing to the comic character as well if i'm not oh, yeah.
3: mistaken it is Probably. primarily when once frank Miller took over yes yeah you you want a superhero uh you want shorthand for a superhero wrecked with guilt you make him catholic i mean that's um i speak from experience not as a superhero um,
2: <laughs> that wow, you I'm gonna
3: know yourself whoops no. uh,
2: um
3: wait you're the sound lord with the cape that, that, that's, <laughs> i knew i shouldn't have used my superhero name as my fun podcast nickname
2: <laughs>
3: dang it <laughs> yeah uh actually before i get into the deep stuff i want to say i thought this particular scene actually feels a little contrived as a way of like we need a monologue we need to show that he's catholic and Mm -hmm. uh and and share his backstory and first of all the priest was kind of not very understanding which is not what you want when you go to confession (laughs) because that's already not fun um you don't want a priest going yeah get to the point what's your sin (laughs) you know that's that that's But also, I feel like it should have, instead of him being, what are you confessing? Oh, I haven't done it yet. You know, I feel like, and maybe this would have been a little cliche too, but at least it would have felt a little more natural if, what are you confessing, flashback to the night before when he does his beat up thing. Because the guy says he... (laughs) I will tell you even, I'll tell you
4: even on rewatch, I thought that's what it did. Uh I swear. Yeah, it would have been weird. It It could
3: have worked that way. Yeah. Because he starts off by saying that he hasn't been to confession in a, in a long time and then says, but I haven't done it yet. It's like, OK, well, you, you I, surely you haven't forgotten how confession works that much that you're not like, I'm going to go beat up some guys tonight. Father, please forgive me. Um, but I digress. That's not super important. That just kind of distracted me a little bit. And I don't think it distracted me because of the Catholic thing as much as it was like, oh, it feels like a little bit clumsy writing. Um, but uh, let me... Down to my notes for I, I think it is very interesting as a <laughs> uh, um, as a Catholic myself to see how Matt Murdock's faith and upbringing are foreground in these episodes. Uh, I think even I uh, you talk to anyone who either is a practicing Catholic or just grew up Catholic that is something that stays with you no matter what your uh you know what your relationship with the church is. Uh, and we're introduced to him in a confessional. I mean that's that's about as you know, Catholic as it gets. And uh, there's an exchange later in, in the second episode when he's talking to Claire and she's listing off the strange things about him. And she says, you can take an unbelievable amount of punishment without one damn complaint. And he goes, Oh, that last one's Catholicism. Uh, it's, you know, it's, you know, the, you know, there's a reason that Catholic guilt is, is an expression. I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you why it is um, that uh, we <laughs> just, haven't beat up enough people. At- yeah <laughs> yeah it, and I think it's gonna be interesting to see going forward and and just as a if we haven't explained everything i this is my first time watching this series uh everyone else has watched it before I actually watched like the first three episodes a few years ago and I'm just usually really bad about watching TV shows so I never finished the first season so uh I'm mostly going into this not having seen it, having a general blind. idea of what's happened. I didn't want to say that, but, but yes, I'm going to
2: do it. No, no it's it, right there. I didn't even you think of to. it. He couldn't, yeah, he so. couldn't see it.
3: He, he was blind. He couldn't see it. Yeah, yeah, I missed it. Um, but, but I think it's going to be really interesting. I mean, his methods, as we especially see in the second episode, uh, are the kind of thing that I think anyone would feel guilty about. Uh, you know, going through. So, if you're going out and brutally beating up and torturing people every night, even if you're doing it for the greater good, that's going to weigh on you. And I think it's going to be really interesting, uh, you know, to see the psychology of a religious man who tries to do what he thinks is is you know best for uh, for society, but does so in a violent, arguably too violent way and then he goes and dresses up well i assume he eventually will get the costume um and and be named daredevil yeah but uh um you know i mean the devil is right there in his name and i feel like calling yourself any kind of devil that's if that's not the most catholic guilt thing ever i mean i don't know what is Uh, so yeah i think it's going to be really interesting seeing going forward that it's going to be such a big part of his character, and I also think that you know people don't like to talk about religion. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that it's like a taboo subject, like like politics, because um, it's because it's a very personal thing for a lot of people, um, and you see it portrayed in media in different ways. and And I think it's going to be interesting just saying, like, okay, this is this is what he believes, and it's not going to be a discussion of, oh, is he right to you know? It's it's not going to be about religion so much as it's about how did this how does this facet of his life uh, I mean with a name like Matt Murdock you know he's a good Irish boy um, you know it, it stands to reason that would be a big part of it uh, a big part of his character and, and what forms you know his outlook on life and I think, I think it's going to be interesting is it interesting people who've watched it? <laughs> um,
4: uh, let me tell you, you will just be very very, very interesting. Okay. Excellent, <laughs> especially in future seasons, but even in this season. Um, and well, and all I have to add is, especially for people listening, I've been excited to rewatch this. I've been excited to talk to talk about it with these guys, but mostly I'm just really excited to get Soundlord's reactions to this show, knowing that he is going in blind. Um, and I was already excited for that, and then I was rewatching, and that Catholic line—that's the Catholicism—that line that, that he brought up that also made me realize there was another factor of why I was really interested to listen to him discuss this. Like I don't, I don't know if, if you noticed, but there's a, a Catholic church in the, and an angel in the opening credits. Yeah. Like it's, it, it, it's, it's pretty central. So I, I'm excited for your reactions to the show, to just the superhero show. I'm excited to your reactions to these things that I've already seen and know, but also I hadn't thought about the Catholic angle until last night, and I was—I had written down this line because I wanted to see before this episode. I wanted to see if you would want to talk yeah. about it, and then you had already written it down yourself in the in the group notes. And I realized, oh, he's going to talk about yeah. it. So, so I'm excited.
3: Yeah, I have uh, in my back pocket a pitch for if I'm ever if I'm ever an important writer someday uh, for a Daredevil Nightcrawler team up because they're both Ooh. both Catholic superheroes um, who either by choice or by birth have demonic imagery associated with them. Um, But they're both also, I mean, as you said in the comics, Daredevil's kind of more of a, you know, when he's not being grim and gritty, he's kind of a lighthearted one. And, and Nightcrawler also has sort of that swashbuckling nature to him, but also Mm -hmm. a a darker side as well. It would also
0: might probably make sense that Nightcrawler and him get along because Matt Murdock can't see what Nightcrawler looks like. And so he can't, judge him immediately based off of sight so he probably gets like a better interaction with him
3: but he'd smell him coming because his uh because his teleportation has a sulfur smell so he'd so he'd like know he's coming before he gets there because he'd smell him ahead of time i've thought about this (laughs) (laughs) i played also that daredevil action
4: figure i had i also had a nightcrawler action figure and those two action figures played together in the front yard a lot (laughs)
0: You know, Chris, you're talking about your first watch through of this, and to be 100% honest, I feel like it's my second first watch through because I don't remember anything. I'm watching (laughs) this show, and I, like, remember the characters. I sort of remember some of their interactions, but I couldn't tell you what happens in this season. So your guess is as good as mine. We're going to be watching this together basically like new almost. Oh, yeah. So in a quiet stretch of shipping containers... Turk Barrett and a group of Russian thugs throw a group of young, screaming women in a container. Turk explains he's getting $1,000 for each of them, which I thought was a little low. Uh, yeah, right? God. <laughs> if I was going to be some sort of in that field of not saying I literally ever would, $1,000 a person is not, t- to me, <laughs> worth that, but maybe that's just to show how like crappy these guys are. Yeah. Before the container can be closed, Murdoch, now dressed in black with a black cowl covering his head and eyes, drops down and brutally beats the thugs. Murdoch releases the women, and when Turk tries to pull a gun on them, he shows his heightened ability to locate sounds, move before the gun can be fired, and beats Barrett to a pulp. In the morning, Murdoch is woken up by his friend, Foggy Nelson, or that one kid from the Mighty Ducks. Uh, The two are meeting with a real estate agent...
3: (laughs) okay <laughs> to purchase an <laughs> office the first episodes trying to figure that out <laughs> uh
0: to purchase an office where they can start their new legal defense firm nelson and murdoch bailey also said that he's from the butterfly effect so maybe if you've seen that movie you also know him from there the first one there's more than one butterfly effect
1: Yes. And well, yeah, because when one happens then another yeah. ripple happens there's and then a, you find a raccoon three, in a cupboard I in a think. bathroom upstairs and then you have to fight off yetis in the mountains. There's a lot that goes into that. There's at least three, I think, but they're not actually closely connected to the first one.
0: Oh, well, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, the agent explains <laughs> rent is currently cheap after the incident. The Chitauri invasion and the Battle of New York has driven down prices. The two take the office, though, express disagreement over Murdoch's decision to only to take only those who are actually innocent. Now, Robbie, the incident.
4: Yeah, what? Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Watching this now, um, in hindsight, as we do this retrospective of the MCU, um... Is very interesting because it takes me back to a time when the Chitauri invasion was the event of the MCU. It was like the only big event and everything referenced it. You remember Iron Man 3, how big a deal it was in Iron Man 3 and how much of what happened in Phase 2 was reacting to the incident. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reacted to the incident. And uh, it took a while, but Homecoming, you know, started with this. And these Netflix shows early on, also, it was very much about... You know, and and this this show and I, this is not a spoiler for Soundlord. This season is absolutely going to be a lot about the reverberations of aliens appeared and superheroes beat them in the middle of New York. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just interesting, it's also interesting how this movie is like we're in the MCU, but we're gonna kind of stay arms reach because they call it the incident. Um, it reminds me of Jessica Jones how she doesn't reference. Um, she doesn't actually say Captain America. She says the flag waver. And um, so the, it, it hits on two levels, which both feel weird now. There's the part where it's like kind of the MCU, but kind of not. Um, and that, of course, now it is just straight not, which is depressing. Um, Have they officially said that it's not, though? I don't think there's been any official... Um, like I don't think it's officially not canon. It's just we're never doing anything with this, and it's over. And we might reboot yeah. these characters
3: um, if we yeah. feel like. Um, it would be great if they didn't reboot them. Like yeah. if you know if the if if, if they, they've all already been wasn't handled there well? some speculation that Matt Murdock might be showing up in uh, uh, well, Spider-Man Three. I,
1: I, I wouldn't say all of them have been handled well, but okay, go yeah, on. you're right. You're right. Not all of them have been handled.
3: Well. <laughs> you're right. You mean One Punch Man? <laughs> uh, I, do
4: mean one, I do mean
3: One Punch Man.
4: Yeah, you're right. They have
0: you guys actually seen One Punch Man? No. I'm no, just aware of it. No. Okay, So I have seen One Punch Man, and it is the most outrageous anime of all time, because he literally just doesn't lose.
3: Look, and... I only know about anime through JoJo memes, and I was under the impression <laughs> that was the most outrageous anime. No,
0: you're correct. JoJo is the most outrageous <laughs> anime, and I think it's on its own level, but like... Yeah. Way down here below it on the second level, then there's that One Punch
3: Man. Like, my entire knowledge of anime comes from our friend Ramon posting memes. That's <laughs> like... <laughs> I think he listens, so... can relate. Oh! Shout out, Ramon! Um, and, Chris, have
0: you seen Daredevil? Or, I'm mean, sorry. Have you seen Jessica Jones?
3: No, no. This... I have not really delved into the Netflix corner of the MCU. Jessica Jones and is also... I, honestly, I think after... the because yeah, I've... David Tennant was one of my favorite actors, so I really, really want to watch Jessica Jones, but I am a completionist. And I was like, oh, I'll have to go back and watch Daredevil. And the thing was, I got so far behind, it was like, this is so much work to get caught up now. And I saw Robbie make a face when I said I'm a completionist because he knows what that means and how terrible that, that mean- <laughs> is <laughs> that I have two seasons of Iron Fist <laughs> that I'm going to force myself to watch oh, at
1: this no. point. Dude, f- <laughs> I, I didn't even get to the second one. The first one was such a slog.
3: Like I, I heard, they don't even show the dragon. So, like, what's even the point? Yeah, it's tough. They don't do a lot of things, and <laughs> he never dresses up as Iron Fist. Because I remember when they announced that they were building up to the Defenders. It's like, okay, you got Daredevil who wears a, a right. crazy costume, uh, and then you have Luke Cage who does not, mm-hmm. uh, who did at one point in the comics, mm-hmm. but hasn't for years and years. Right? Yes, Jessica Jones. I don't think has ever. No, worn she a used costume. to have a costume.
4: It's oh, very boring, okay. and it's okay that we've moved on from it.
3: Wasn't yeah. it when she was Jewel? Yes. Yes. But then you had... So so those three characters, at least... Yeah, Luke Cage... I mean, they all have superpowers of some kind. But they're not, like, outrageous superpowers. And then you have the Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, that's gonna be so wild, having Iron Fist. And then, uh, all accounts, it was not so right. wild. And he's...
4: And he's and, got an iconic costume with an iconic look, like it's, yeah, whatever.
3: Man, you don't even know. I
4: don't even. I don't
1: want <laughs> us to have to watch Iron Fist for this podcast. <laughs> I'm not gonna do uh-huh. it because I, I think everybody, all the listeners, would drop out for however many episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of want you to watch it for Schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, no, I'll get back to you on that. But like the. I don't know. It's just kind of a bummer that you take a character like Iron Fist and you don't you don't put him in his costume. Uh, you never get around to doing Heroes for Hire uh, when you've got Luke Cage right there. Right. And so you didn't watch The
4: Defenders either, right? No. It is good. It's worth watching. It's okay. only eight episodes, so get through it fast. Also, it's not super important that you watch everything, although Daredevil Season 2 does have a lot of influence on it. Yeah. But... I, I ask all that to say that the Defenders is good, and yet every sequence that Iron Fist is in is miserable. Like <laughs> <Really>? it's just <laughs> It's such a bad character and is played so poorly. And so much of the Defenders is it's literally this mopey, ultra serious dude. Surrounded by not... old, But it's not played for laughs. He's just played straight mm. ultra-serious with literally this, this girl following him around all the time, telling everyone else how great he is. Like, he has to be serious. You just don't understand. Oh, He's no. the Iron Fist. <laughs> like, it's so bad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's and
3: like, I, I remember that the showrunner for Iron Fist also did the Inhumans show, which I also never watched, which I also heard was really bad. And then they finally decided to stop using that guy. Maybe maybe he's a good showrunner for other things, but it sounds like he and Marvel were just not a fit. Nope. I don't want to cast aspersions on anyone's talent. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just it's just kind of a bummer. And, Robbie, do you ever wish that instead they had done the actual Defenders from the comics, so you had Doctor Strange and Silver Surfer and Hulk? <laughs> and Hulk.
4: Yeah, I, I like that there was... I think I would have liked a hybrid. I think I would have liked if they put these characters with those characters. Mm-hmm. But yes, I would like to see the Hulk, Doctor Strange, Defenders. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, the Jatari invasion, it's weird going back <laughs> and
2: <laughs> I forgot what you were talking about. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I
4: remind myself. No, no, that was fun. No, you're fine. And
0: Chris, um, um, I personally like... I think my favorite season of all the Netflix so- shows is season one of Jessica Jones, and it's okay. because David Tennant is so good in it. Yeah. He he's like he's like um, God. I'm forgetting Loki's actor's name. Good, um, Tom Hiddleston. He's Tom like Hiddleston? Tom Hiddleston yeah. steals the show.
4: Kind of good. Oh, yeah. He's very yeah, I think very he's good. The at the Best of the Netflix villains.
3: Is that what comes after chronologically after Daredevil season one? Is it, yes, it then, is. Jessica then Jessica Jones? Yeah. Jessica Jones, yeah.
4: And they there's a little bit of overlap, but it's not important. But I, like Jessica Jones, has some, um, Nelson and Murdoch stuff in there. Okay, but yeah, yeah and I mean,
3: like I know Luke Cage is in Jessica Jones, right? Yep. yep. Uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. and obviously Rosario Dawson is in everything. She's yes. The, of universe yeah i think
1: if you are gonna go the completionist route you want to watch season one of all of them first starting with daredevil and then ending with iron fist and then you go back to daredevil season two
4: but but i am going to tell you that you don't need to worry about the completionist route Uh, yeah you should
1: wikipedia (sighs) iron fist Mm, (laughs) um
4: so the chatari invasion
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well,
4: only the, the last thing i was going to say is it's just very interesting how it was such a big deal at one point in this franchise and now it just kind of feels quaint and so it's it's kind of interesting when they talk about the incident aliens came to earth <laughs> and superheroes fought them and it's like you know when this show came out yeah that was that was the biggest thing that's ever happened in the universe and now it's like, no
3: well, it's like stanley's line in infinity war what you've never seen a spaceship before <laughs> Right.
1: <laughs> I might have been under the the false guise of the internet once again, but I thought that when these shows first debuted, they were like definitively part of the MCU and then at some point they were like, "Nah dog, like we're not using these anymore." So, I, that's why I thought it was like, "Oh, they're kind of blatantly talking about New York, and we should know that they're talking about New York because these these uh these two contents are are related but like they're not saying it and it's kind of weird that they're not just saying it if they're supposed to be playing nice with each other well it's
3: like ages of shield where it's produced by marvel television which at this point in time was technically a separate entity from marvel studios yeah Uh, and now it's all under the same banner which is why we're getting these uh these disney plus shows even um, so, it's weird though because
1: like, yes. say for some reason you hadn't watched the MCU, um, mm-hmm. but you did watch the the Netflix series. Maybe you have Netflix and you didn't want to spend more money, and you're and you're like, I'll watch this Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. What what are they referring to then? If you haven't like, seen yeah. Avengers, you know it's kind of weird that they won't say it. Like, well, they did Netflix. say aliens
3: came out of the sky and blew up a bunch of things. Like like they yeah. they. They spelled it out in like one th- one or two throwaway lines and then moved on. But that's still what is weird to me, kind though.
4: Of slightly cute and distant about it.
1: Yeah, that's why yeah. it's weird because it's an yeah, alien situation. <laughs> right. uh-huh. Anyway.
3: Well, I mean, let's see in, in three years how we refer to this year. Uh, we might just call 2020 the incident by the time <laughs> we're done with it because Better. we don't want to go into every single terrible thing that happened in
1: it. Or it'll be like the guy's name that we don't say. That we just don't say 2020. Oh, yeah. Voldemort? Voldemort? No. <laughs> Kingpin.
3: Oh, yeah. We don't say his we name. We don't say his name. That kind of made me roll my eyes, too. I was like, we all know. The opening <laughs> credits of Vincent D'Onofrio's Wilson Fisk. <laughs> like, we know.
0: In an apartment elsewhere, a young woman is found by the police holding a bloody knife next to a dead man. As they arrest her, she screams that she didn't do it. Foggy's childhood friend and police sergeant, Brett Mahoney, tips Nelson off to the woman, Karen Page, in her case, indicating the DA has not yet pressed charges. Nelson and Murdoch meet with Karen and offer to represent her, having just passed the bar and looking for their first client. As someone who watched this with somebody who's about to take the bar, that yeah, was a very right. stressful, <laughs> <laughs> <I bet. laughs> oh. stressful sequence. Uh, Paige swears she's innocent, and Murdoch, able to hear her heartbeat, believes her. She tells them the dead man was Daniel Fisher, who worked with her at Union Allied Construction. She says they met at the bar for drinks, and she remembered nothing else until waking up next to his bloodied corpse. A man is standing alone on a park bench when another man in a suit sits next to him. The man in the suit tells the other, Mr. Farnham, that his employer recently acquired a massive debt owed by Farnham. Farnham insists he'll get the money, and the suited man shows Farnham a live video of his daughter along with a nearby hitman named Rance. He explains to Farnham they are not interested in the money he owes, but rather his position. Nelson and Murdoch argue over the Karen Page case. Foggy insists they should take a deal since the evidence makes it an open and shut case. Murdoch convinces Nelson there is something further going on since Page has yet been charged and the story isn't in the papers. Nelson angrily agrees. As Karen Page sleeps in her jail cell, Farnham, a prison security guard, comes up behind her and attempts to strangle her. As he apologizes, Karen is able to break free and scream for help. Let me tell you, there's one way to get me to squirm in my seat, and this show has done it once an episode, and it's when you go for someone's eye.
4: Oh, yes. Oh, no. Same. I looked away because I knew it was coming when I was rewatching.
0: I forgot, and we were shocked. And, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> and then they go ahead and do another eye thing in the next episode. I'm like, ah! Okay, also, yeah. spoiler, they do it in the, that, that rate of once an episode continues on through at least three episodes.
1: We don't know that. This is blind. We're, <laughs> this science experiment <laughs> I mean, is blind. So we're so there I just referenced. Then <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't care about eye stuff. Maybe that's the point.
0: Ugh. The next day, Nelson and Murdoch meet with detectives Blake and Hoffman demanding Paige's release since she is not being charged and is unsafe in prison. Though Blake threatens Murdoch, the two agree. Back in their office, Nelson and Murdoch question Karen as to why someone would try to kill her. Paige explains Union-Allied Construction had been profiting as a leader in the massive rebuilding process following the Jatari invasion. She tells the lawyer she was accidentally sent what appeared to be massive amounts of laundered money disguised as a pension and opened it. Karen approached Daniel Fisher about what she saw to look for help but blacked out after a drink she assumed was drugged and woke up at Fisher's murder scene. a distraught Karen tells Nelson and Murdoch they can't help her and she won't be responsible for another death, but Murdoch is able to calm her down and get her to stay at his apartment for protection. Back at his apartment, Murdoch speculates Karen is only alive because she has something they want and asks if she kept the UAC pension fund file. Karen denies it, but her heartbeat tells Matt she's lying. Lie to test determined. That was a lie.
1: (laughs) I like his apartment. Here's a weird note. I think Mm -hmm. his apartment's cool. I don't need that sign blaring through the windows, but I like (laughs) the I like the the windows in there. They look. cool. He wouldn't be able to afford it without the signs. No, I know, but (laughs) well, isn't that the point? I think the layout is. Yeah, I think the point is it's a cool apartment.
0: Yeah, I think like every hipster would like to live in that apartment without the sign. Yeah,
1: Yeah. but not every
0: hipster is lying. So or (laughs)
1: hipsters would want to live in it with the sign because of the sign it's ironically
3: bad i feel like i could deal with the sign honestly
1: for what i understand
4: rent costs in new york i think i would deal with the sign yeah <laughs> without hesitation
3: <laughs> i might find something comforting about the glow of that sign yeah <laughs> you ever like turn the tv on when you can't fall asleep yeah. yes
1: uh, yeah. i used to until i watched the
3: ring and now i don't sleep with the tv on in the room oh Yeah, see, I don't know, that's for me, like, if I, like, it used to be, like, if I couldn't fall asleep because my brain was doing too much, whether it was stressing about a real life or worrying about a scary movie I watched earlier, because I am a chicken, uh, (laughs) I would, like, turn on on ESPN, turn the volume down low so I could not really hear it, and, you know, fall asleep to the Australian Open. I don't know, it's... As many do.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: On top of a construction building, a group of shady characters meet. Leland Owlsley, Nobu Yoshioka, Madame Gao, and the Russian Renshankov brothers meet with the man in the suit previously seen in the park threatening Mr. Farnham, James Wesley. The group is angry Wesley's employer is unable to attend, and Wesley reminds them sternly not to say his employer's name. Uh, Wesley asks the Russians why their shipments are short a load, and the two explain how the masked men beat their thugs and help the captives escape. Owsley claims a new hero is a good thing as heroes create profits for them. The group then presses Wesley on tying up the loose ends of Union-allied construction, and he insists they are handling it. Wesley impresses upon the Russians they have to handle the man in the mask. Um. Who would like to talk about the villains in this scene first? We got Robbie and Peaches. Both have got some villain talk they want to have.
3: Oh yeah, villain talk! Oh, my favorite segment of this show. Sure, um,
1: I'm going to go first because yeah, I think yours makes sense. To go first. My my impression is like the blind not knowing as much about comics as you do. Oh, there's so many blind that...
0: references in this damn show.
2: So I've
1: six thousand
0: times. I just say it so
1: often because of like video games and stuff too. I'm I'm sorry. So, um, going in and like not really knowing anything about the names of these characters, it like this scene stood out to me because for me this is the first like Marvel thing in a long time where the um the first impression of most of the villains is that they're all just douchebags. I don't know if you guys got that that vibe right away too, but when they're all meeting and they're like standing in a circle and they're all just being rude to each other and I'm like, you know, I know we're going to get some more development out of these. At least I would hope that we would if I hadn't seen this before. But I know (laughs) we're going to get some more development out of these guys, but it's weird because like it is literally a bunch of jackasses standing in a circle and that's how you're introduced to them is like just all these fucking idiots wow sorry um this one's pg-13 now um and i i don't know it's not bad there's just not like an mcu thing in the last 10 15 years that i can think of where my very first impression of the villain is wow what an ass clown
2: right (laughs) When and and that's what all of
1: these ones give me, especially Wesley. I don't know what it is about that guy, but oh. the way that he's always wearing a suit, buttoning it when he when he stands up, unbuttoning it when he sits down, like I don't know, something about he just gives off the the highest form of douchebaggery. It's the smarminess. I just want to slap him. Yeah, like his little smirk when he when he shows the video to the guy in the park, and he's like, "Oh, you're gonna do what I want now." Like I don't know, they, they're just they're slimy, and they, I don't know. I, this isn't a this isn't a criticism. It's just it's just different from what we've seen with other right. Marvel stuff and it weirds me out.
3: Right, absolutely. I found something about Owlman, apparently. The Owl. <laughs> no, Owlman yeah. is uh, is something else. That's uh, a <laughs> that's the alternate universe Batman, right?
4: That's also Frank Miller.
3: Yes. Oh no. yeah, it all makes sense. Uh, no, but yeah, the What's his name? Owlsley, of course it is. That's so Uh cool. yeah. yes, Leland Owlsley, yes. I don't know what it was about that guy's performance, but I was like, I want to see more of this guy. <laughs> there was just something about the way he delivered his lines. I'm like, this man is entertaining and I, I want him around more. I wish I wish oh, he oh, were a part owl and and levitating a little bit. Yeah, I wish he could temporarily levitate as a treat.
4: So <laughs> to what you said What I was going to talk about is this scene is like a who's who of potential future um, villains uh, and peaches to what you talked about, about, you know, not recognizing the names. And like, I didn't either, especially they're not all introduced at this point. Um, I do remember I realized that was Leland Owsley and I got really, really, really excited that Owl was going to be in this. Um, I did not immediately recognize Nobu, even though they called him by his name. Um, I didn't realize that for a little while later. Um, and then
1: James is, Christy, Madame Gao, is Madame Gao in the universe too, or is I she don't for the show? So. I don't think so.
4: I think she's just for the, the Netflix series. I oh. have never found, read or seen anything on Madame Gao. Um, and the Russians, I think, the Russians are not directly from, their names maybe, but they're more like just, Routine Punisher villains. Um, but Leland Owlsley is absolutely um, the Owl. And to what Chris was saying, I was so excited because Owl was going to be in this. And yeah, Owl's kind of a stupid villain, but that's fine. We can have stupid villains. Uh, and he's just played so well. He's so interesting. I absolutely want um, want more of him. Um, clearly, if you realize who Naboo is, you realize that the hand is going to be in, um, in these things um, at some point. Uh, and then even James Wesley has never been a major villain, but he's just, you know, Kingpin right-hand man, dude. And it was cool that they brought him out in this, uh, gave him probably a bigger role than, definitely a bigger role than I've ever seen him have in the comics. Um, but that was cool. And so this, this whole scene gives you all these villains. And then the other thing is then it's, and Chris, you knew Kingpin was in this, right? I'm not. Yeah, okay, it. okay yeah. cool. Um, and I knew Kingpin was going to be in this, but it's still, even when you know he's coming, it's really fun the way they're hyping him, the way that Wesley says, um, you know, we don't say his name, my employer, you know who he's talking about. And it's so cool because they, they tantalize you for knowing the Kingpin's going to be in this. Um, but they, they hold off for, for a few episodes before you actually see him. Um, at the same time, there's a little bit of disappointment Um through the Marvel, through the, the the Netflix series, I don't think Owsley was used the way I would have loved, um, you know, and there's some other disappointment. It, it just feels like maybe this all could have been used better, but it's still cool seeing them all on that screen, on that, um, in that meeting together. But really what I take away from this is when James Wesley says, my employer will be displeased Uh, by being inconvenienced by a lone vigilante with a mask. That line just makes me wish I could see Vincent D'Onofrio in a Spider-Man movie so badly. Mm, Yeah, Because (laughs) the way that 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 mentality, like that kingpin mentality of, you know, screw these mask dudes is there in episode one of this series. And I just, I just want that to be a part of a Spider-Man movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I don't think, I I, I think everything you said was, correct peaches it's it's a bunch of assholes but it's also really exciting at least in hindsight it was really exciting looking at this scene and seeing how much this one little conversation is setting up so many different villain arcs for um for Daredevil and potentially other heroes to deal with
1: yeah honestly like i think i think it actually works more than it doesn't like it doesn't bother me because you want to know more about all of them mm-hmm. you're like why are these people the ones that are gathered here like you kind of get a sense by the end of the episode of what each one contributes to the group right um but you still don't know that much about them other than these guys look like jerks and and somebody oh peaches that's the point they're the villains shut up i get it it's just what i noticed okay <laughs> leave peaches alone no i get exactly what
2: you're <laughs>
4: saying and, and when you said that i started thinking about other MCU villains, and I just couldn't I couldn't come up with one who's like that. Um, oh, the closest one I could come up with, though he's played for comedic effect, is um, um what's his name? Soundman. Black Panther's uh, arch nemesis. Uh, yeah, um, oh. Claw, yeah. You...
3: <laughs> Sound be lord. lord. <laughs> yeah, you, Don't you, be uh, impertinent. Ulysses
4: Claw is probably the closest one I can think of to look at him, he's a scumbag, but even him, it's it's a little bit more comedic than any of this. Owlsley is the only one here that feels like a Marvel villain, like an MCU yeah. villain.
3: That must be why I gravitated to him in that yeah. scene.
4: <laughs> no, he's good. Um, you will not be disappointed.
1: You know what? That, yeah, no, that's true. Okay. Anyway, I don't have to say anymore. I'm just going to keep repeating myself.
0: <laughs> Karen sneaks out of the Murdoch apartment and goes back to her own home, where she retrieves a thumb drive. As she does, she is attacked by Rance. Murdoch arrives in his mask and, after a brutal fight, is able to z- subdue Rance and save Paige. So, I do like this show. I like it a lot. But one of criticism I do have of, of the show is that it is dark. And I mean that in every sense of the word. It is telling a dark story. There are a lot of dark things that happen. But also, it's just shot really dark. There was the scene right here where Rance and, um, and Matt Murdoch and he's in the all-black suit, are fighting in, the, in her apartment. And I couldn't tell what was happening, I want to say 70% of the time, because it was so darkly shot, which sucks because a lot of the fight scenes in this show are really well choreographed. So mm-hmm. it's a shame when they're shot so dark that you can't experience it. It makes me feel like the Battle of Winterfell in uh in game you're gonna say that yeah uh, yeah that's what it feels like it feels like like what what's the point of having all of this you know all of this amazing action if you can't see any of it
1: um and you gotta be careful if you say that you're gonna get like the troll that pops out of the ceiling tile that's like oh eduardo the battle of winterfell was fought at night you're not supposed to be able to see any
4: of it i don't even watch that show and the twitter arguments about it made me angry
3: Oh my gosh, same. Yeah, like with the cinematographers who were like defending themselves and the people pointing out, well, you know, you should really take into account a lot of people are going to watch these on screens that aren't ideal for that. You know, it's not like when you can, when you film a movie and you send it off to the theaters and you get to tell them, okay, now have the bulb set at this setting. Sure. Or,
2: mm-hmm.
4: Well, and I think Eduardo's completely correct. And something that, and, and I'm pretty sure Sound Lord agrees with me on this, something that I think is often missed in a lot of film and media is thinking it's more important that we get the feel of what the fight was like rather than seeing what's happening in the fight um i think Mm -hmm. about a lot about like shaky cams and fast editing and sometimes that's bad filmmaking from the standpoint of i don't have to make a choreograph a good fight scene because i'll just make the camera do the work but also like ridley scott can choreograph a good fight scene and yet has fallen into shaky cam films um i'm thinking about um Uh, uh, City of Angels. Um, City of Angels? No. City of... Anyway, City of God. Kingdom of of Heaven. I got every name wrong. (laughs) Kingdom of Heaven.
3: Touched by an angel.
4: (laughs) Angel. Angel. (laughs) Ruffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh. (laughs) Um, Anyway, but that idea of using... And something we've talked about that the MCU does very well is it doesn't do that. It shows you the action sequence. And that's Mm -hmm. less stylized, but so, it's more interesting. And, and and you actually see what's going on. And I think it's the same thing with fighting in the dark and fighting at night. Um, and, and this was actually a, a criticism I had of of a movie that doesn't need much criticism, but this was one small piece, was of Black Panther, that fight in the train scene, um, which is what people point at when they talk about the CGI of Black Panther. And the real problem is not that the that Marvel Studios can't do good CGI, it's that that scene was shot in a in a setting that is hard to do good cgi sometimes you got to think about is this setting actually going to make a good fight sequence and if it is how can we improve it and you maybe have to take some creative liberties because people want to see your action as we'll talk about in the next next episode there's action to be seen in this series and oh, yeah. so yeah, yeah you're right you're right game of thrones angry people it's defenders it's it is in the dark it is at night but that doesn't automatically make it good that is potentially a legitimately poor decision.
1: I wonder how that translates to the whole season and all of the other Netflix shows for you, Eduardo, because I think almost all of them have very few literal bright spots. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like all of the all of the series are mostly in the dark, and I think they're trying to like encapsulate that grittiness more. Like you see that in horror movies a lot where the setting is like either dark, like gray or it's like a green sometimes mm-hmm. um and it, it almost feels like that like right. they're trying to kind of put you off with how how dark it is like make you uncomfortable
0: maybe it's just because i'm on the other side of it and it's been however many years yeah. but i cannot tell you how fatigued i am by things being dark and gritty agree i was playing agree i'm gonna be i'm gonna be 100 honest with you yesterday i was playing Fortnite with a friend of the show patrick And we were talking about why it just is more fun to play than something like the Call of Duty Battle Royale. And it's because everything in the Call of Duty Battle Royale, even though it's a good game, is all like the same color and it's all the same style, it's all the same feel. It doesn't there's nothing exciting about it, right? I feel I find things so much more exciting when they are vibrant and have color. And if you talk about that Black Panther scene, what makes that scene stand out so much is because the rest of that movie. Right. is so bright Correct. and colorful and beautiful. And that's why that scene yeah. stands out as, I would say, one of the sore spots, if not the the sore spot of the movie, if there yeah. is one, um, because the rest of that movie is so
4: beautiful. Agreed. Um, or, or like you're a big fan of, uh, and I should play them, I know I would enjoy them, but you're a big fan of the Red Dead Redemption series. And I haven't played it, but one of the things that's so fascinating to me is how Red Dead Redemption 1 is... Just brown. Like everything yep. is a different shade of brown. And then the sequel is like, wait, grass is green and yeah. the sky is blue. <laughs> it's
1: like it's <like> a- <laughs> by how far we've come and how much we've grown just over the years, and probably because of events that have happened in our lives, I'm sure all of us were at a point. I know I was, where when like the dark night. Stuff was coming out. I was like, "Oh, gritty superhero movies are the coolest. I want everything to be gritty and real." And yeah, because like, I was a
0: teenager. More? I needed to feel the yeah. angst of my soul. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like
4: more colors, please.
3: I will still argue that the Dark Knight trilogy is not nearly as dark and gritty and dour as people remember. Yeah, I think we know there are still. Like... Oh, I mean, it's it's still... it was like the crack cut with sugar, man. It was like there's
4: the, <laughs> the entry level yeah, grit. I we yeah, this in I another this
3: episode. think. No, keep going. Yeah, there. Yeah, there, there are jokes in that movie. There, there is fun. There, mm-hmm. there are some fun action sequences mm-hmm. in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a serious look at Batman. And God, Batman, and really, I think Daredevil, since I feel like you can really link those two characters, especially with mm-hmm. their Frank Miller uh, connections. Uh, I just feel like there are people who misunderstand, or with comic books in general... Batman being kind of the poster child of this Zack Snyder uh maybe he's talking about yeah, Zack, Zack Snyder, Snyder. <laughs> I'm not just talking about Zack Snyder but uh but 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 I'm certainly including including that in this uh, is that there's this idea that comic books have to be violent and dark and gritty to be taken seriously and that's how we end up with someone saying let's take the fantastic four and make it dark and gritty I'm sorry, they're called the Fantastic Four because the guy that can stretch his arms out calls himself Mr. Fantastic. There's the Invisible Girl, the Thing, the Human Torch. You don't do that seriously and dark. And and this is why I will always use the Guardians movies as my counter example, because those movies, as we talked about, still... Have real emotional heft to them and can be moving and mature, and also have a talking tree and an angry raccoon with a gun. It doesn't have to be dark and serious. Right. I am tortured and tormented, right. and I my mother is dead. And you know, it's,
0: <laughs> yeah. I would argue. Yeah. I will argue. Oh, go ahead.
1: Oh, wow. well, both weird. argue. <laughs> oh. Oh, you argue first. That was sexy. I don't even know if I'm going <laughs> to a- argue
0: with you, but I would say it starts even further back than um, than Dark Knight. I think 90s comics in general were very much like, yep. we need to go dark and gritty. This character isn't popular. What should we do? How about we kill them? Mm-hmm. Oh, you- <laughs>
2: genius.
3: <laughs> and I think it's because Frank Miller's Daredevil yep. and Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns yeah. was, was accessible. Yep. And and, uh, and I'll throw Watchmen in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I need to watch um, that.
3: Which to that, and I still need to watch that show too. Yeah, uh, but but uh, but I've read Watchmen and I saw the movie as well, and I would argue I, I need to go back and read Watchmen again now that I'm older and smarter. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, I I still think that I will I will like it very much, but I I think that there is some commentary on dark and gritty superheroes in Watchmen that a lot of people just took at face value. Correct. as, Oh, dark yes. like and gritty superheroes. Yes.
4: Absolutely, Wershak's not a good Absolutely. guy. Absolutely, and <laughs> yeah. Well, and this also reminds me of I don't know, I'm certain Soundlord remembers, but I don't know if you guys remember when um, the Wind Waker was in production and
2: oh yes, yeah. And there
4: was this whole reaction of well, but Zelda games are supposed to be serious and dark, and it's like, did you play Link to the Past? Like, but that was a thing that was happening back then. Like, what? Uh-huh. Look at how beautiful this game is. It can't be pretty. It. And yeah, so, so Wind
3: Waker, by the way, the light-hearted Zelda game that ends with Link stabbing Ganondorf through the brain, and then
4: flooding the world. <laughs>
3: uh huh. Um, like there is a darkness to that as well that belies its its cheerful exterior, right. but it also has a lot of fun and lightness to it as well. Yeah, I. But you know, Zelda was also it was well, there are games for kids. Yeah. You don't want a dark and gritty Super Mario Brothers, right?
4: Um, I ran into a YouTube comment section that was asking for that the other day. Like a never run into of people, YouTube comment <laughs> sections. Whole bunch of people <laughs> arguing. I'll show it to you guys afterwards. But a whole bunch of people arguing for uh-huh. how much they need a dark and gritty Mario game.
3: You know, except I don't for, know
1: how. Except for Peach's YouTube channel, you should run into those comment sections.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, I'm saying. Um, <laughs> um, oh gosh, the- it's like the people who are like, "Oh, do you know what I really want is an R-rated Star Wars." Then you don't understand Star Wars. Correct. I'm sorry.
4: Correct. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Eduardo. I just, I am, I was never super into the dark and greedy thing, but I'm also, like, I'm real fatigued on it at this point. It's a miracle mm. that I like this
1: show. We need happy <laughs> and light now. But I think this show, that's what we need. 2020 going forward. Yeah, but also <laughs> I think
4: the show is kind of to Chris's point about the dark, the Christopher Nolan series of there is darkness and there is greediness, but the show isn't about that darkness and grittiness it uses it to affect but there's plenty of heart Mm -hmm. and comedy and um and bright spots within it as well
3: and there's nothing wrong with grim and gritty either it's just i so many people think that grim and gritty equals smart Uh, which it doesn't always well and i think
0: there's a a point where you use grim and gritty exclusively to tell a story rather than as a theme or a part of your story. And that's when you run into the problem is when you Mm -hmm. are only dark and gritty, then you have no substance.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. And, and also dark and gritty isn't subversive anymore. Right. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry. It hasn't been subversive since 1993. Sure. Uh, So, I mean, (laughs)
0: I don't think you're wrong at all. So, yeah, I just wish it was a little brighter. Maybe I could turn the brightness up on my TV, but also I don't feel like I should. Correct. It's, I agree. It's, it's not something it I feel like I should because the rest of the show would seem way washed out and it wouldn't look as good, yeah. right? Like. Yeah. So Matt takes the thumb drive and Karen insists he can't trust the police. So he decides to tell everyone, leaving Rance and the thumb drive tied up in front of the police station the next morning. In the aftermath, Wesley speaks with his employer on the phone, arranging to have Karen's boss pinned for the UIC corruption and then made to look like he died by overdose, with Rance. while Rance is pinned for the murder of Daniel Fisher. The two decide to leave Paige alone, but start a file on her attorneys. Karen offers her services as a secretary for Nelson and Murdoch, and the group have dinner together. Madame Gowd looks over a collection of blinded workers preparing drugs. Owsley shuffles numbers through UAC accounts. Nobu looks over construction plans in Hell's Kitchen. Mr. Farnham's daughter finds her father dead by a self-inflicted gunshot while Rance is found hanging in his jail cell. The Russians abduct a child whose cries are heard by a masked Matt Murdock standing on a rooftop.
3: Do you know what that scene reminded me of? Hmm. I think it was Superman Returns. There's a... I'm pretty sure that's the Superman movie where there's a shot of Superman in space Yeah, and he's yep. hearing That's the, brand, the Brandon Routh one? Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Which I will say is, and this is not a compliment, I think that's the best Superman movie. Challenge me on that. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen enough Superman movies. to. You should not me. see any more Superman movies.
3: Uh, you should watch Superman I and Superman like,
2: 2. I
0: feel like... <laughs> People don't actually like Superman. I feel like they have an idea of what they want Superman to be. The problem is everybody has a different idea of what they want Superman to be, and so they'll never make a good superhero Superman movie because everyone's opinion of what Superman should be
1: is different.
3: He's talking about Zack
1: Snyder again. Superman, Superman is a resume.
3: See, I, I think the problem right now is that we the guy that's making Superman movies doesn't like Superman. I right? mean, that's a big uh, problem. That's my sure. theory. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I I it's been many years since I've watched them, but I did enjoy the first two Christopher Reeve Superman movies, mm. and I and I like Superman Returns as well. But again, it's been many years since I've seen them. Maybe if I revisited them, I wouldn't feel as positively towards them. Uh, but that John Williams score, the music's great, A plus.
0: <laughs> so, what did you guys think after? So, we're at the end of the first episode. What did you guys think of the first episode as oh, a whole? So
3: hyped. It made me hype. Same. It felt like a first episode, and I don't mean that in a bad way, um, but it had all the things that you expected a first episode: yeah. uh, introduction of the character, flashback uh, to the origin of the superpowers, uh, here are all the villains that we could be seeing, montage of what those villains are actually doing, uh, hinted a bigger villain yet to yet to be revealed. Uh, let's uh, let's get the characters uh, together, um, that with with Karen, you know, becoming the the secretary or or receptionist or, or whatever her job title is which is probably many things by the end of this I'm sure since they're a law firm with three employees but
2: yeah
1: I was saying this to my to my roommate after I watched it like I know that it, it because it went straight to Netflix and the series was planned it's not like it was a pilot episode but as a first episode it felt very well done yeah. well made uh like it, it felt complete it didn't feel like an idea which is nice um i don't know i i think yeah It I'm, and you didn't chris you didn't say that it did any of those things poorly no um, no no it, it... i think it was a perfect way to kick off my interest in the rest of the show for me i just thought i thought that they they covered a lot of ground really well um about the character and you know the interest in what the hell the villains were doing and Yeah, we knew it was Kingpin, but, like, we didn't get to see him yet. Like, I want to see him. I want to see what he looks like.
3: Yeah, we heard his voice, and Mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, bring him on, and then then they didn't. Yeah. Yeah,
1: so it got me really excited for the second episode, which I watched immediately afterward. The first time, and the second time, and Mm -hmm. this time. I think I watched
4: this whole (laughs) season in, like, two days the first time. Um, It's very interesting the way it is all set up. Like, when you think back on what happens in this episode, it is all set up. And yet at the same time, has this, s- manages to have an, an open middle and end to a storyline. It's, Karen will have more storylines. Sorry, Soundlord, to spoil that for you. Karen will have more storylines going forward. But within this one contained episode, there is a Karen is in trouble. Karen has a conflict. Karen is rescued um, storyline that shuts. And I think that's kind of hard to do. I think it's hard to have a lot of setup while also having um, the catalyst for a lot of that setup having a resolution within that same episode.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And it never feels particularly noisy either.
0: I haven't done this yeah, in a I... while, but I'm going to disagree with all of
2: you. Ooh. I Whoa.
0: wasn't a big fan of this episode for a lot of the reasons you guys are saying. It felt... Like a pilot episode, and I I know I didn't like it because I really liked episode two, and episode two feels very different from episode mm-hmm. one. The way they tell the story in episode two was very different than the way they tell the story in episode one. Episode one feels like the first episode of any major tv show on a network which is why calling it a pilot is so effective it makes me feel like the first episode of angel if you've seen that episode it's sort of like here's angel here's and this is sort of how every angel episode is and there's a few shows that are like this where it's like here is this person here is a conflict for them to deal with this episode and then we're going to sprinkle in a little bit of some conflict that we'll deal with at the very end and it it didn't feel like it was telling a larger story yet and i think The episode, I think, I was kind of like, well, that was it. Like, it felt so abrupt. Like, they had the conflict, and then it was immediately solved. And it all seemed to happen so fast that what I enjoy about these Netflix shows is the sort of slow burn of the building of anticipation and them kind of working through these conflicts, which does, they do for the rest of the season. So from episode two, one, that's sort of the style of the show. But episode one feels like its own thing. It just didn't necessarily work for me.
4: I actually agree with everything you said and yet still like
0: it? (laughs) I'm not saying I dislike it. I'm just saying those are the things that I didn't like. No, I agree that it feels
4: like this was the first episode of a show that is actually on television, not Netflix.
3: Well, I still, I am, uh, this might be where I, I might end up disagreeing with you guys a little bit here, if I'm understanding you. I think if you're a TV show, even if you're on Netflix, you still have to act like a TV show. And and I think part of being a TV show is that you're broken up into episodes and each episode has to, I mean, yes, it can be an overarching story across the season, but I still feel like each episode needs to work as an individual thing. I, I don't like it when people say, oh, this isn't a TV, this isn't a TV show. We're thinking of it as a 13 hour movie. I think that's bullshit. I think that it is a 13 episode TV show that is telling a season long story. Uh, and you need to remember what an episode is, and not to be like, "and we'll cut it here because we're at forty-five minutes now." Uh, like, I still think that. I mean, yeah, there could be a, like two-part episodes are, are are a different beast, but um, I, I don't like it when they try just try to treat it as a a long movie that's cut up into digestible parts. I still think that you know, an episode needs to work as an episode as well as a part of the whole.
0: I like agree and disagree all at the
4: same. Yeah, time. right. I, th- I yeah. think, <laughs> I think that's correct. But I also think that that might result in some episodes that just by the nature of what you just said, this episode is going to have to be weaker because this is the introductory episode, which is not. I've already said I like this episode, but yeah, I, sort of like shooting in darkness. If that's a necessary evil, that's going to mean sometimes you see the evil. Yeah, and I almost feel like.
0: I apologize, Chris, but I feel like that's an antiquated way of viewing it. I think that's a very, you're looking at it from the lens of, well, this is how TV has been and this is how TV needs to be. But we live in an age where we don't just get piecemealed episodes one at a time and have to digest them individually. Most people are digesting content like this in large quantities. They are looking at them. They are sitting down watching four or five episodes in a row. They are viewing them as a full context. So I think... There being... I'm excited
3: for all those people that have that much time. <laughs> I
0: mean, sure. <laughs> Obviously, sure. And that's great. But I think that's that's a lot of the design of some of these seasons now and some of these shows is to be for those people that consume content that way, which I think people have found is a lot of people. A lot of people tend to consume content like that nowadays. And I think that's who a lot of these Netflix shows are, are geared towards.
4: Yeah, especially think of Stranger Things. I made
1: Mandalorian hard.
4: Yeah. Right.
0: I mean, Mandal- and Mandalorian is a great example of it working in the opposite right. way, right? Like they're like, no, we're not going to give you what you want. We're going to, we're going to build in pit anticipation a different way, a more traditional um, TV show way. And it's not to say that it's any better or worse, but I think it, it really worked to their advantage in the Mandalorian because of how people were conditioned to consume content in several hour increments.
4: Yeah. Right. I, I saw someone once say, and I have no way of testing if this is correct. But I saw someone once say that The Mandalorian has it right and that something like Stranger Things missed out on not piecemealing their episodes because then, you, then you've got people watching something, talking about that thing they just watched for the week, then seeing the thing sure. again. And that potentially Stranger Things could have dominated a larger portion of the public consciousness if it was just doing one episode at a time. Although I will argue that Stranger Things really buys into the, now nah, this is a 13-hour movie thing. They don't feel like contained episodes to me in Stranger Things. But that's kind of a a side point. I I think The Mandalorian, part of its success was the fact that we were kind of like we used to do with television. Showing up to work and talking about, I guarantee you now where I work makes makes this less surprising. But I guarantee every single day after the release of The Mandalorian, everyone at work is talking about this week's Mandalorian. And that went on for weeks instead of instead over a few over a couple weeks we were talking about the season as a whole or having to be careful and like step around it you guys you guys all watched game of okay how far have you gotten yet yeah
2: you know peaches
4: peaches and eduardo watched game of thrones and it was definitely like our group chat for you know several weeks on end was what just happened in game of every sunday about to happen in game of thrones Mm -hmm. like i do think there's something to that old concept
3: yeah Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if Mandalorian would have been as successful if we didn't have a new Baby Yoda meme That every week. said...
1: Jiggy-nuggies, <laughs> Well,
0: and, like, Baby Yoda is a great example because that first episode, you get shown Baby Yoda at the end, and then you have to wait a week to figure uh-huh. out why there is a Baby Correct. Yoda even in the first place. And you never really even uh-huh. get that answer. But that week of just talking about, like, did
3: you see mm-hmm. yeah. the Baby
0: Yoda? That was such a fantastic mm-hmm. week.
3: Like... It made you, like, I want it to be next week now so I can (laughs) see this next episode. Because uh, my jaw dropped.
2: Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So it'll be very interesting,
4: because I think, honestly, I think both of you are right. And I don't... I like the ability to just sit and watch Daredevil all at once, which is basically what I did. And yet that hype building, if things were done the old-fashioned way, there might be something to that too. So the reason I bring that up is it's interesting... We're doing this mostly to prep for the Disney Plus Marvel series and it will be interesting to see since those are going to be handled from everything we know different from the um the binge method and it'll be interesting for us to see how it goes just seeing an episode a week at a time.
0: It's interesting because Anthony Mackie has talked about that show and he's talked about how it's basically just a 6-hour Marvel movie. Hmm.
3: But I they're just think but that's the, it, marketing bugs. You think so? I, <laughs> I, 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 I think I think that's a term that is overused I also... by calling it a six hour movie. I think that it's right. that's just marketing speak. Yes, I'm sure it's telling one overall story, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I just think it's one of those one of those phrases that's overused I'm too interested. much now. And that might be why I'm annoyed by it. Like, not in, not necessarily in concept so much as people both trying to say oh this is just a really long movie that we're releasing in one hour chunks um, I mean that's what the Snyder Cut is going to be that is actually going to be a four hour movie released in four episodes wait um, really? why? Yeah. because it's long and people yelled on the internet um we should
0: talk about a movie?
3: <laughs> was that? <What>? <laughs> um <laughs> Oh boy! Oh boy!
1: No, but that was Eduardo's nickname in high school.
0: <laughs> My nickname was it was long, and people yelled about it on the internet.
2: Yep. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs>
3: the other thing I, I I will say though, and 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 I promise I'll drop the subject now, is that there is this weird hierarchy that people have in their mind of cinema and television and movies are the be all end all of visual entertainment. And then you have TV down here. And I don't think that's true. I think both of them can be completely valid art forms. Uh, I mean, you look. I, I also think a whole lot more people agree with you on that now these yes, days. Yes, yeah, I think people. I have, don't
4: think you're on a limb anymore. Yeah, I think
3: people have come around on that definitely. Um, but you still have, you know, people who go from ho- from making movies to making TV shows, and they try to justify by saying, "Oh, well, this is a long form movie." You can say you're making a TV show. Ain't no shame in it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you take a show like Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. I think those things were successful because they were TV shows. If they were movies they would have been successful but would they have been as artistically successful? Arguably no.
1: You're not interestingly. Good. There are 5 good seasons of Breaking Bad and there are 5 good seasons of Game of Thrones. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think you can I think a lot of people t- can agree with you Chris and I think there are a lot of people that send a um I want to talk uh, the the anime revolution that's sort of happened in our culture throughout the past few years. There are more people watching anime than ever before, and anime is some of the most serialized content you will ever watch. I started watching One Piece two years ago. I am about 500 episodes in, and I am only halfway through... All of the episodes that are out, and they are still making new episodes. They said they're not going to finish until about 2026, 2027. That's when the story will finally end.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh.
0: There's. Reminds me of (laughs) webcomics. (laughs) That's daunting. It is insane. But part of the daunting part of it makes me want to get there. Because, like, It's almost like a challenge at this point to like reach the end and be like, I conquered Mount One Piece. I'm going to get a bumper sticker from my car.
3: (laughs) This car drove up Mount One Piece.
1: (laughs) That sounds like something you'd get on a t-shirt from a Hooters.
4: (laughs) Mount One Piece, don't mind if I do. I knew very little about Avatar and that was part of my fear of getting into it was I just assumed Avatar was like that. I just assumed there were... 3000 oh. Avatar episodes. <laughs> the fact that I finished season 1
1: in a couple of days is like, oh okay. Avatar <laughs> like, and Korra both I think cut off at a smart point. They didn't keep going. They anyway. We're we're so we're so in the weeds now like Yeah. We, gotta we got to talk about this. Yeah, second, second, second episode. We, we have
3: a whole about. second
0: episode. All right, episode two. And we
3: have to do it all in one take. I remember
0: I was really worried. I was
4: so worried we wouldn't find things to talk about.
0: Why do you always say that about our longest <laughs> episodes? It's like you have a sixth sense of being wrong.
1: It's like you don't know no, that's anything so- about what we've done here the last <laughs> 30 episodes.
0: So episode two. Remember the Hulk episode? Episode two opens when a teenage boy finds a battered and bleeding costumed Matt Murdoch in a dumpster. The boy retrieves a young woman, played by Rosario Dawson, beast on my heart, who helps Murdoch out of the dumpster and into her apartment. The woman starts to work on Murdoch's injuries and tries to call 911, but he stops her, saying the cops can't be trusted, then passes out. All right. I need to talk about Rosario Dawson for a second. Because not only do I have a gigantic crush on her, but she is so good she just it's all it's like effortless and it is i am not saying any of the actors on daredevil are bad by any means because a lot of them have really good strong performances specifically the actor that plays matt murdoch is very good um i think some of the other performances are a little like i think both karen and foggy are hit or miss at times for me there are times when i don't find them especially believable but,
3: oh, you should see Robbie's face right now, listeners. And
0: it's okay when it's just Matt, Karen, and Foggy, but when you add in a an actor to the caliber of Rosario Dawson, it brings out some of those qualities that I don't necessarily enjoy about the the way the other characters are being portrayed. I think Rosario Dawson just has a way of of just making you believe her character, like she just is her character. And maybe it's partially because Rosario Dawson is one of those actors that tends to, in a lot of ways, play herself in a lot of the characters. Like, I think this is a very Rosario Dawson character. Um, And so it makes it a lot easier to kind of fall into it and play it um, convincingly and well. Um, And this isn't to say any of those actors are bad. I just think Rosario Dawson's really, really good.
4: I agree with that, but I'm never going to forget that Deborah and Wool slander you just put out there. <laughs> I see her. I,
1: I agree with you on the Foggy point of it. I, don't, I also yeah, don't I really agree. agree with you on the Karen point of it. I think Foggy gets better as the series goes on. Yeah, I had forgotten how kind of...
4: And by kind of, I mean extremely annoying Foggy was early yeah. on.
3: He's but very yeah, no, much I, so. I, this is the funny guy.
4: Yep. Yep. And, no... I, I also have a massive crush on Rosario Dawson. I have since the day I saw Josie and the Pussycats in theaters. Um,
3: I just geez. learned so many things about you from that one <laughs> sentence.
4: Oh, okay. You know when they ask you, like, what's the what's your guilty pleasure movie? Like, which movie do you actually feel very strongly about, even though you know it's terrible? That's Josie and the Pussycats for me.
3: It's a comic movie. We should talk and, about it on the show.
4: It's reassemble oh, Josie and the Pussycats. Oh, one
0: cat yeah, at I a time. Be,
4: yeah. I would do a Josie and the Pussycats <laughs> podcast so fast you don't even know. Um I I'll be completely prepped. I'll be completely prepped with the Archie comic, with the, the Hanna Barbera cartoon, with the, the movie itself, like with the the oh. anti capitalism message in the film. Okay. Anyway. She was on
3: Riverdale too. What? Oh, was she? Yeah, I think so. I think Josie okay. and the Pussycats were, were in it.
4: Oh, we're in Riverdale. Yeah, it's all, all connected. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I thought you were talking
4: about um Rosaria Dawson was on.
3: Remember. Oh no 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 no! She was she was on Jane the Virgin, uh, same channel. She but,
1: was on Jane <laughs> the Virgin.
3: Yeah. She was in Men yeah. in Black too.
1: That's the first thing I saw her in.
3: And she I... might be
1: in the Mandalorian season two. Ooh, have you seen um Ooh. Seven Pounds?
3: Yeah. The, the, the rumor is that she's playing Ahsoka. Oh,
1: that's
0: right! I forgot. Yep. I was so excited about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Seven Pounds will mess you up. Don't watch it in 2020.
0: Ooh, okay. That movie is very right. sad.
1: Yeah, watch that when things are
3: nice in the world. Don't watch it now. She's also okay, so in Rent. I'll try to remember if, if you've 10 years. seen the Rent Oh movie. yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah, she's um uh, uh, what's her name?
0: Yeah, her. <laughs> I don't remember her. Mimi. Name.
4: Mimi, yes. Um, yeah, she's wonderful. I'm I'm I don't have anything to say that Eduardo didn't like it, it was so excited when I realized she was in this and she is scene stealing in every every Netflix um MCU whatever we want to call it show she's in every time she's on I almost
0: and it's weird because she's in multiple of the of these seasons and I'm sure she's got other things going on but I almost feel like she's underused and maybe this is a spoiler for Chris I guess for the rest of all the other seasons but I feel like she's not used to her full potential as she probably could be mm. I think this is the one where this is the season where she gets sort of the most and then it sort of drops mm-hmm. off Seasons go on, and but, I, I personally assume it's because she's got other stuff going on and she can't devote a full season to something like this because she's Rosario Dawson.
3: I feel like I heard that there was a one of the Netflix shows they wanted her to be in, and she didn't, uh, she had conflicts. I don't know if that was The Punisher or something.
4: That makes sense. Uh, I haven't seen The Punisher. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to assume she's the most expensive person on this show. Oh, yeah. Like right, right. No one, I no one is think commanding of anyone. A Rosario else Dawson. check. and Probably not. Maybe. Oh, hey, men in men in black connection. Anyway. Oh um. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll bet. I'm assuming he or um. Uh, Charlie Cox made the most from this, but in terms of a per second on screen price tag, it's got to be Rosario Dawson. I would and so I imagine that's part right. of why she's less used in it yeah um the way she's used to connect all the characters ends up being very smart mm-hmm. um i we discussed this on the dr strange episode but she's an amalgamation of claire temple he is a character from the daredevil comics but not an important one but she was supposed to be night nurse she was mm-hmm. supposed to be um rachel uh was it yeah rachel? she was supposed to be rachel mcadams character
3: oh that's um, the actress
4: that's yeah right she oh. was supposed to be rachel mcadams character christine from dr strange the name? Christine Palmer. She was supposed-
3: Thank you. Yes. That just popped into my head. Yes,
4: she was supposed to be the night nurse, um, and that was going to be her connection, which it, it is her connection. She's the the, the nurse to the superheroes. Um, the way that's used, even though she's not actually Christine Palmer, but is effectively filling the Christine Palmer role in this, is very smart. The way that she, you know, because she runs into them and she's in the neighborhood, she ends up fixing up all these superheroes. Uh, her connection from one of the series to another, I think, is really, really great. And she gets some great stuff as this series goes on.
0: Were but there, I'm curious, curious, when they were speaking Spanish, were there subtitles?
4: No. no,
0: no. I don't think so. I love when... What did they yeah, say?
1: Because I had subtitles on. <laughs>
0: oh. I love when shows do that. They didn't say anything crazy. It was mostly just, like, her telling him to, like, get upstairs or something. But I love when shows, yeah. shows do that. Yeah, I actually do, too. Oh, I, I feel I think like if I have, been have to
3: know, you're going to... I feel like I understand. She wasn't speaking... Because I remember things. there was being something like not even your mother. Uh, so that was you right, There subtitle. might have been subtitles there. Because yeah. remember... if I understood it, it was, it was a subtitle. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: possible. Because I remember so reading it... that and being like, that's not
1: exactly what she said. But I digress. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> if they wanted to have Rosario play Night Nurse, why didn't they just use... Because Doctor Strange wasn't coming out until 2016 so maybe the film the filming had already started for dr strange or they already had written the story but why not just call her character christine palmer instead of claire temple
4: (sighs) there was a reason for that i know i've read a reason for it and off the top of my head i cannot remember the reason um
3: so i think that i think that they were planning on it and then it came down the pike that they wanted to use that character in Doctor Strange, so they said, Oh, you can't use her on. Yeah, when that's when it's that
4: probably it, it, that's yeah. probably the correct movies answer. always get first
3: dibs on characters,
4: right? And that they probably knew ahead of time, um, mm-hmm. that you know, we're gonna do this, so um, well, alrighty, then <laughs> wait, okay, Daredevil showrunner Stephen S. Denight. Noted that the character was originally going to be the actual night nurse from the comics. We had her name in a script and it came back that it was possible um, we were going to use her and had plans. Do- OK, yes. Plans down the road. Um, they had she was going to be. Um... I've already forgotten. Christine her name. Yeah, she was going to be Christine Palmer. They <laughs> needed to change it because they knew they were going to use Christine Palmer in the movies.
1: I don't know. I mean, she barely plays a part in Doctor Strange. They could have That could have been their crossover. Correct. They could have just let Rosario Dawson be Rachel McAdams. <laughs> also, you're
4: now making me fit pick between Rachel McAdams and Rosario Dawson, and that's
1: rude. Yes. <laughs> no, it's not. Anyway, yeah, before we
0: move on, uh, Chris and Peaches, you guys haven't said a nice thing about Rosario Dawson, and we're not moving on until you do. Have yes, I, I
1: did. I just said that she should have played <laughs> christine palmer in in, in (laughs) dr strange yeah and then you said let me recap let me rewind you said i have to make you choose and i said that it that it wasn't a choice just say the correct answer yes okay there we go
3: (laughs) i think i think she's great i i thought she was better than the broadway person in rent um if you've ever listened to the if you've ever listened to the original cast recording of rent i am not a fan of that (laughs) mimi
1: It's pronounced.
4: I might cut this out
3: on the off chance that she listens to our show. <laughs>
1: hey man, you be you. You gotta listen. They gotta be able to take criticism, okay?
3: Oh, I don't like saying bad things about people.
1: It's not bad. Um, it's just a, it's yeah. just a performance review. I,
3: I prefer. I preferred Rosario Dawson. I I thought she was great on Jane the Virgin, and I like her in this. Yeah, she was. Awesome. I, I thought that me bringing her up. Oh, she was on Jane the Virgin, and she might play Ahsoka. I thought that. I thought that I was positive enough in that, but no, I, I will, I will explicitly state, she' good actress. She was also the best pussy cat. <laughs> she was the best right. pussycat. according to Robbie. Bam, 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 bam. watch new pussy cat. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs>
0: Okay, enough of that.
3: (laughs) Alrighty.
0: (laughs) In a flashback, young Maddie Murdoch and his father Jack bound as Maddie stitches up his father after bound Bond after his father (laughs) (laughs) after uh, after a lost fight. Jack shows Maddie a large stack of cash he earned despite the loss, but is clearly angry about the situation when Maddie leaves. While Karen and Foggy connect and get drinks, the woman working on Murdoch introduces herself as Claire Temple. I think she just introduces herself as Claire. She does. Yeah, Yeah. she
3: never said her last name.
0: Murdoch tells her he went to find the abducted boy he'd heard from the end of the first episode, but walked into a trap where he got beaten. Flashback picks back up with Maddie in the hospital, having lost his vision, but struggling to handle his suddenly improved hearing. While Claire works on stitching up Murdoch, Matt hears and smells a man searching the apartment building several stories below, showing off how attuned his abilities are. Murdoch further explains he inherited the ability to take a vicious beating from his father, and we get another flashback. Maddie is seen learning Braille when his father is pulled away by a pair of Irish mobsters. Unknowing that Maddie can hear the conversation, the mobsters explain they have arranged a huge fight for Jack, and that Jack will need to throw the fight in the fifth round for them all to make a lot of money. In the present, a detective shows up at Claire Temple's apartment to ask her if she's seen the man in the mask, which she denies. Murdoch consents the detective didn't believe her, and the man makes a phone call in Russian as he leaves. Matt is able to knock out the detective by dropping a fire extinguisher down several flights of stairs with pinpoint accuracy, which seen by the teen who previously found him in the dumpster. How is this man not dead?
4: Also, did that remind anyone else of American Psycho? Am I I've the only one here that's seen yeah. American Psycho? That's I've only weird. seen it once, and okay. I don't remember well, how much. Well, one day you'll watch American Psycho, and it'll remind you of this, so... <laughs>
2: But How yeah, is this no, man not dead? dead?
4: He's right? dead.
3: There's he's no dead. way. <laughs> no, he's not dead. He's not dead. No, because I mean, he's if... still alive to be tortured later.
0: So. <laughs> well, I yeah. I understand that he is alive later in the show. Oh, but, he but yeah, in be, real life. He should be dead. <laughs> no, he, his brain <laughs> is mushy. It,
1: is it the same dude that does Cinema Sins that does the YouTube series where it, they talk about all the times in a movie or a show that the person who was injured would actually have died? Like, they... <sighs> They go over the injury, and they say, like, here's what actually would have happened to them. Like, broken skull, dead. I don't want to watch (laughs) that. That
4: would make me so uncomfortable. Because
1: I bet that this episode has a lot of everybody's should be dead. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Even the
4: dumpster part, which we'll get to. That dumpster Mm -hmm. part, he should be dead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed, Eduardo. Yeah.
0: Claire helps Murdoch pull the Russian up to the roof and string him up. There, she tells him she chose to help him because she had heard so many stories through her job as a nurse and around the neighborhood of the man in the black mask saving people from criminals. In another flashback, Maddie reminds his father that Murdoch's take a lot of hits, but always get back up. Point of order.
4: Maddie got his dad killed through his own pride. He shamed his father into getting killed. I just want to establish that.
1: He didn't shame his father. He was saying that it would be nice to hear his like people cheering for his dad. He was trying to encourage him. Okay. Yeah, he doesn't and know. I don't. He got shot. I don't think a ten-year-old kid is gonna know like if he doesn't do what those people say, he's going they're they're gonna kill him. I think and he's. Here's just where like, we oh, go yeah.
3: back to. He's a ten-year-old Catholic boy. He's gonna feel yeah. bad about it. He's gonna be like, yeah. oh, "This is my fault."
1: Yes, which he I does do not
3: honor my father.
1: No, I didn't think it was like I didn't see it like that. I don't know. Good if job, Maddie, you got
4: your dad killed.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, so this is the Star
3: Lord argument of the MNU.
4: For someone to well,
1: make a Star-Lord connection.
3: <laughs> well this and and is this any different from saying that that, you know, Peter Parker feels guilty for Uncle Ben's death because his inaction led directly to that happening? With great ability comes great accountability.
1: That's not even the phrase. Get your Peter Tingle out of here. You've gone too far.
0: Jack frantically places a massive wager on himself to win by knockout and arranges for the money to be left to Maddie. He then calls an unnamed woman telling him Maddie is going to need her, and he just wants to hear his father get cheered one time. On Claire's roof, Murdoch starts to interrogate the Russian. Claire becomes angered by the thug bragging about the strength of their human trafficking organization. And helps Murdoch torture him. Chris. Yeah. Torture. In a superhero movie?
3: It's more likely than you think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's worse? Torturing a superhero torturing one person or a superhero unknowingly killing hundreds and hundreds of people as he battles another superpowered person through a city?
3: Ooh. Um. Uh, neither's great. <laughs> Is that a serious question? Because I'm—I mean, I don't
0: know. I don't know if it's a serious question or not. It just makes me know, think of yeah. Man of Steel, of superheroes that probably should be doing that aren't doing superhero yeah. things.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's so I—I I always find torture scenes hard to watch, just on a visceral level. First of all, like when he, when he sticks that dagger in the guy's eye socket, just. <laughs> Ah, God, my God, ugh. Just like, I'm the critic just thinking about it. Um, But I also find it really uncomfortable when a character who is ostensibly the good guy is using torture. And I feel like it's a pretty common trope nowadays. uh, Particularly in the 21st century, post 9-11, for whatever reason. uh, Like, 24, uh, Jack Bauer... Torture people all the time to get information, and that information would usually end up saving the day. So the ends justify the means. The only episode of Twenty
4: Four I ever saw, he literally decapitated a captive criminal to make some. My sort God! Of yeah, it's ridiculous. Continue there.
3: Yeah. This podcast, this podcast about superhero movies and TV shows. Is probably not the venue for a long discussion on the Geneva Convention and the ethics of torture. We don't need to get deep into whether states should be torturing, uh, you know, to get information. If that's going to prevent things, I certainly have my opinions on it, which you can probably guess by me talking about how uncomfortable I am watching Daredevil do it or any quote-unquote good guy doing it um i i you know tend to think that if you don't live up to your own ideals then are you the good guy anymore maybe not um at the very least though if they're going to present the good guy in a show or a movie torturing someone even if it's a bad guy like this is a bad guy who's in human trafficking kidnapping children All horrible, 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 horrible things, obviously. Um, But they're presenting this in excruciatingly realistic detail. It at least, to me, needs to be examined critically in the story. It can't just be presented as the guy doing what he has to do to save the day. And maybe that's coming later in the season, or or later in the series. I don't know. Haven't watched. Haven't watched the rest of it yet. Um, But if this just becomes this is what Daredevil does is he tortures people and well you know uh, he he saved the day so it's fine I will not I would not be comfortable with that I feel like if you're going to introduce something as as important I, I guess I want to say is something as as serious as torture and, and something that is still debated to this day about its role in imprisoning people or i i guess you know it, it's it's an important issue and i feel like it needs to be treated as such in the story uh to justify its use otherwise it's just for uh, lack of a better phrase uh torture porn uh like like they say about like certain horror movies so it, it just becomes oh this is shocking this is dark and gritty uh look at what's ser- what a serious show we're being now, violent acts, torture, serious themes aren't just for shock value or just to make it gritty and mature. That doesn't fly. Uh, like, if you want to be a mature show, then you deal with those things, in my opinion. And like I said, maybe it's coming. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think um, it's hard to watch for anyone. I already talked about how the whole, whole mm-hmm. eye thing freaked me out. But I think yeah. it can kind of continues the mm-hmm. sort of darkness conversation that we've been having of sort of this, it feels like every time somebody says they're making something dark and gritty, they try to up the ante on the last person that made something dark and gritty to the point where you're not even making a superhero story anymore. And I, I understand the whole anti-hero thing, but take the number one anti-hero of them all, Deadpool, that movie isn't like dark and gritty from like a from from that kind of sense that movie's bright and fun and hilarious and mm-hmm. he is also an anti hero and he also does really bad stuff but it doesn't have to be so sort of graphic and visceral so I agree with you chris that I, uh, this scene is a lot to take in um I am gonna be a hundred percent honest and I don't actually remember if this is something that's uh dealt with or not and if you guys remember don't say anything because yeah, i want it to be uh something that chris experiences on his own but i couldn't tell you right. i already said i don't remember a lot right. of this show and i have no idea if we talk about it or not so we're gonna find
2: out
4: yeah and i'm wondering everything i'm thinking i agree with all of your statements on torture i'm one i can't figure out how much of what i'm thinking is based on later episodes because I can't necessarily isolate, you know, I can't compartmentalize my feelings on Matt Murdock at this point in this time, two episodes in.
1: I'm right. I'm right there with you. I I don't remember it enough either, yeah. but it definitely feels weird given the the way that we've seen a lot of our other superhero stories in the last ten years or so. Uh, like it, it stands out mm-hmm. particularly, uh, especially going back to what we said earlier because he is. A man of the law.
0: <laughs> yep. The two get the Russian to leak the location of the abducted boy. Murdoch leaves to find him while Claire goes to hide. In one more flashback, Jack wins his fight, much to Maddie's excite- excitement as the crow- crowd chants Murdoch. As Maddie waits for his father to, home, to return home, he hears a gunshot and runs outside to find his father dead in the alley. Mad begin, Matt, Maddie, God, I'm having a lot of trouble right now. Maddie begins crying daddy, which (laughs) transitions to the abducted boy crying for his daddy in the Russian hideout. The man in the mask arrives and in a continuous single camera shot in a hallway with two doors, Matt Murdock takes out a horde of Russian mobsters single-handedly. I, okay.
4: Uh, (laughs) I don't know if I'm supposed (laughs) to read that or not. No, you're not. No, no, no. <laughs> I just I pointed out for for listeners at home. I pointed out that that's one short paragraph for something that deserves way more than a short paragraph. But since there's no dialogue or even really like plot advancement, it's like, what are you write about it? I even pulled up the script. Like, how did the script describe the scene? It's two lines. It's like so. It's so. Oh, like, cool it's some, it's interesting. Happens. Yes, right. <laughs> Basically, that's what it is. A fight happens, and it's like that's true, but that's not really all that happens
1: this scene is good enough that if you have watched the first two episodes of daredevil season one you remember this scene this Mm -hmm. is the Mm -hmm. thing about like of all the things i remember from the stuff i've watched which is daredevil season one and season two this is the scene from season one i remember vividly and i will not say the season two scene i remember vividly because it is messed up (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it hurts me thinking about it. All right, Peaches, go off. Talk about the scene. Oh, okay. No, <laughs> I So obviously, I really like this scene. Everybody really likes this scene. Um, even even people that don't really care for the show would probably see this scene and go, huh, that was really cool that it was done in in one take, one shot. Um, probably not one take, but one shot. Um, and what I like about it especially is... In this fight, uh, where he's going in and out of the rooms, and sometimes you see the action and sometimes you don't, when when Daredevil is fighting, I mean, he has just been patched up by Night Nurse, so he's obviously not in the best shape. Like, he was found in a dumpster. He woke up not able to breathe. They had to give him, like, a whatever it's called to poke a hole in his lungs so air would come out of it. Um and then he went and and went after this kid anyway to to rescue him. So like he is not at full health. you know mm-hmm. he he went into the boss battle <laughs> with like twenty percent health and no potions. Um <laughs> and this is the way that he like he wasn't this beat up, but when he fought rants at the end of episode one, <clears throat> what I'm about to say holds true too. Matt fights like you don't really know he's gonna win. Like in this fight scene, he gets he he punches a few guys and then after he lands a punch he like groans over in pain or he he like throws himself up against the wall to rest for just a second or he like almost falls to the floor and then a guy comes at him and he quickly like takes care of that he'll you know counter and punch him and then he'll do it again and i think that that fighting style i don't know that it makes it more realistic cuz i've never been in a fight like that but it makes it feel. Um, I don't know how to say it without saying a lot of the same crap we always say, because I want to say grounded, but it's like he doesn't feel overpowered at all, like superheroes sometimes feel. He fe- it feels like he is a human is evenly matched. And yeah, he's a human. Like he's going in there and he's trying his best. And yeah, he's got heightened senses, but like he's hurting too. And I think that is another thing about this scene. And the first, the first fight scene, like I said, in the or the last fight scene in the first episode, that really stand out to me. Um, but it also does a really good job of highlighting what they've kind of said over and over so far in the first two episodes that the Murdoch family can take a hit and they'll just get back up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I don't know. I not only is the scene awesome, it just I think this theme will continue throughout the rest of the show uh, where he he's a badass but he doesn't always fight like he is destined to win the fight Mm -hmm. and I I like that I I like that he's not portrayed as an overpowered superhero that can take on anything like he can but he definitely struggles and you see that
0: yeah I think resilience is a big theme in this episode I think his resilience in general is something that's it's it's definitely what they're trying to put at the forefront here to talk about that whole story about his dad and getting up whenever he's hit and kind of coming home and like, you know, him helping patch his dad up and sort of seeing that and sort of seeing and having that be what shapes him as a person. And so mm-hmm. this this fight is all about Matt's resilience and how many times mm-hmm. he gets hit and how many times he gets back up. Um, not to mention it's just an awesome fight. Like it's just really well done. Yeah. Well choreographed. There is one part at the very end of the fight where Matt does this flip kick that I think was incredibly unnecessary for him to do, but he did it anyway because <laughs> it was cool. But besides yeah. the guy the- was
4: already on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> he was like already right. and then he gets back up. <laughs> then he gets back up. The kick wasn't tough. <laughs> kick didn't even work. But I, I think what I just said about that, I think that actually adds to everything you just said is correct, Peaches. The, the the struggling, the breathing, the taking a rest. Something you don't see. Like that's what sets it apart from Batman. That's how this is different from Batman. Like you don't see that in superhero movies. You see them, you know, kinda effortlessly go from one person to another. They don't have to take a breath or Right. Mean
1: you may get but also in other fights like one scene like that where right. they're winning for the beginning of the they're winning right. for the first seventy percent of the whole length of the fight and then the bad guy hits right. them with two like really strong moves and then they're like, Oh right. I'm about to die. Just yeah. kidding, super powerful move. This is like the whole time right. he's struggling. Right. Yeah. You never see
4: him catching their breath, but also you never in this case, he doesn't punch people and they're they're down. Because that's not how fights work. Right. Like he hit people they get back up he has to hit them again they hit him back like they're they're not it is not this is the punch that ends the fight it is they are fighting and and all of that everything we just said is on top of just that cinematography is amazing Mm -hmm. oh yeah
3: (laughs) It, it is a technically really well done uh sequence just the the choreography the fight choreography the camera choreography um i watched it a couple times <laughs> um one thing that i have learned and I hope this doesn't ruin it his stunt oh, double la, has la, a sl- la, 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 la. sorry his stunt double has a slightly bigger butt <laughs> so if you look, <laughs> if, if you look carefully <laughs> it's a, it's a little more round um i think he's actually the same he's chris evans stunt double in the captain america movies as is well. he
0: one of the um, so it's is it one off. of the seven stunt doubles from scott pilgrim <laughs> no
1: well i got <laughs> you a deep cut. lucas
3: lee yeah yeah, yeah. So, Did he have seven stunt double? I know there are seven X's. Did he have seven stunt doubles? Well, I don't know. I don't it's know yeah, if it a was a seven exactly. It's been a while since I've watched the movie. The I whole
1: point why. of the, like one one thing that that movie like hits on hits you with over the head over and over is the number seven. So, right. Okay. Like they throw I seven gotta, into like everything. I gotta watch that movie again. It's so good. You know uh, what this scene reminded me of? Also, it has nothing to do with the content of the scene, but the continuous camera shot. Mm. Haunting of Hill House episode. Yeah.
3: Seven. Oh man, oh. yeah. I'm still mad that episode did not get an Emmy or anything. That it didn't get didn't get uh, noticed by the Academy because I thought that episode was was fantastic.
1: You see, and
0: so so um,
3: far I'm like two for two on the things that I know are
1: continuous camera shots. And Chris, yeah. if we can go
0: back to our older point, I think Haunting uh-huh. of Hill House is the perfect example of melding what you and I. We're talking about even as opposites because I think *Haunting of Hill House* does yeah. both. I think it does a yeah. really great job of being contained episodes, but also always telling a complete whole story.
3: Yes, no, I mean that's actually like my ideal example. I wish I, I'm glad you, I'm glad it was brought up because I, I, I didn't think of it. But that is exactly it. it's like this is an episode about this person. Mm-hmm. We're also going to learn more about the overarching story. This is an episode. <laughs> Every episode is structured as a single episode. It is a self-contained story that also informs the larger story until the final episode ties it all together, and it's really, really well done. Who wants to do a
1: haunting of Hill House podcast? Let's go! Oh, okay. point out all the ghosts. The haunting of Hill um,
3: House. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: and the haunting of Bly podcast could be the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, I could think of at least two people in this apartment who would be in. Yeah. <laughs> The same. Nice. <laughs> and
0: it's
2: not
3: yeah. my dog. Ooh. Oh man, I was really hoping. <laughs> so, Teddy, but, Teddy uh, has
0: a lot of opinions on a lot of different shows. He's just not a big horror fan. No. No, no that's
3: probably because dogs can okay. sense ghosts in real yeah, life. Yeah, he's not a big fan. No, so, no. Don't say
1: that to <laughs> me because why'd you say
3: that? <laughs> oh no. Was Ivy barking at a corner earlier? Yeah. <laughs>
4: yeah, <why? laughs> that's what Riata does. Riyadh just stands up, looks at a corner, and like
2: woof. <laughs> Don't you you dare!
1: They've been barking. They've been barking a lot at the door. The two dogs in this house. They've been barking a lot at the door lately for no reason. And now I'm just gonna think it's a ghost. So thanks. I'm so sorry. At least the ghost is polite and is waiting at the door. Uh, Maybe ghosts don't
4: need to use doors, or
1: they're in the hallway which leads to the door. So they're just looking at the door. Uh... They're looking at the hallway, but I think
3: they're looking at the door. Are ghosts like vampires, where they can only come in if you invite them?
1: nope no i think they're they do whatever yeah, they i think want. they just okay. live places
0: i think That's they're the opposite I, I, I think they can't leave
3: i've always yeah. wanted a welcome mat that said welcome unless you're a vampire just in case a welcome mat counts as an <laughs> <laughs> what if it's like a snowy day though and snow has
1: covered the unless you're a vampire and it just says welcome Oh no! Well, I, I want a heated
3: welcome mat then. <laughs> okay.
0: What if they it covers everything except for the well? And they're like, I wonder if I'm welcome here. And they look at the mat. and he goes, Well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: I guess I better stay outside. Or just it covers
1: the well. Or it covers everything except for you're a vampire, and then whoever <laughs> sees it turns into a vampire. It covers the well. <laughs> It covers the well and
4: the unless, and it just says, "Come, vampire." (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
3: (laughs) anyway, I love that hallway fight scene. Yeah, that's (laughs) where ghosts are—the hallway.
1: (laughs) Damn it, man! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what what do you think the
4: ghost hanging out in that hallway, watching them, thought? Like,
1: oh, here's here's how we tie this in. (laughs) Rosario Dawson says the line. If you're going to give up the ghost in my apartment, I at least want to know why you were doing it. There we go. Uh-huh. Full circle.
0: Murdoch takes off his mask, tells the boy he doesn't have to be scared anymore, and carries him out as the credits roll. Hindsight, how do we think this fits into the MCU? It like sort of does a little bit, but also doesn't at all. Uh... Yeah, I, feel, I feel like we
3: can probably drop this this segment from a yeah, future episodes. I agree. So we... How does it fit into the MCU? I mean, it theoretically yeah, right,
4: doesn't, it doesn't yeah, inform
3: the movies at all, so... Yeah, in hard. all
4: honesty, if that's something <laughs> yeah. we want to discuss, it's more at the end of the series than sure. here, yeah. two episodes in. Sure. We having... already talked about how it fits in the Chitauri invasion. So we yeah, are yeah. trying
0: out different formats. As we've already said, this is a test bench for our, the eventual Marvel shows that are going to come out on Disney+. So we're messing around with a few ideas. Today we're going to be talking about big takeaways that we get from these two episodes. So we'll start with Robbie. What's your big takeaway from... Uh,
4: the first two so we've wa- we watched, yeah, we've watched so many of these superhero films with these big stakes, these epic, you know, literally saving literally half of all the life in the universe, um, and that sort of stuff. So it's kind of nice. Yes, he got there with torture, and we discussed how questionable that is. But it's kind of nice just seeing a superhero film that is the 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 story and the moment is he beat up a bunch of people to just save an abducted child who was scared and wanted to go home and that's uh that's all there is to it also my other big takeaway is that as i wrote this i read what zach and eduardo said and i feel the same as them
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> what peaches <laughs> that was worth it for the, the sound word. <laughs> get rid of the z word no. um
2: <laughs> I <remember.
4: laughs> yeah, I just I I liked how small a moment it was that that this is this is like saving a kid is heroism. Yeah, it doesn't need to be undoing the snap. Um, it's kind of refreshing. Yeah.
0: My big takeaway um was uh, you've talked about it a little bit, but they kind of allude to the MCU throughout this whole thing. They kind of like have like they like hint at it, but they never actually say it. And there's always this like they are always like very um sub- subliminal about whether like this is actually part of the MCU or not. And it's honestly kind of a shame that it's not. I was honestly really hoping, and I think Robbie's talked about this before, that during the the circles thing that the defenders would have showed up there and like um, at the end of Endgame, or at least at some point that we would have seen the defenders kind of join in. Um, but we never actually get that. And it's kind of sad because a lot of these characters, specifically three out of the four of them, are portrayed really, really well.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: I always thought that when Tony goes to recruit Peter Parker, clearly he's keeping tabs on, on all these heroes, uh, you know, even if he had just sort of offhandedly mentioned the devil of hell's kitchen or, or, or some of the other superpowered people in New York is like, but no, but you're, you're the one. Yeah. You know, just, just, just some kind of nod to it. Um, yeah. It's weird that they do the, like,
1: I guess it's not that weird, but it's, like they do the offhanded references to the MCU in this show, but the MCU never really does any offhanded references to these shows. Yeah. And sometimes they reference Shield. Uh-huh. Like in Winter Soldier, they reference SHIELD. Right? There
4: are yeah, but uh, there Shield are... was already in the in the films. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. just like that's really it. You never hear you never hear that.
3: Yeah. Now daredevil did reference ages of shield sort of did it because uh carl creel uh was uh uh he's absorbing man he's absorbing man and absorbing man was on ages of shield oh i oh yeah i did not know that in seasons one two or three season yeah he was in season two and then he came back later I, i forget when exactly um okay. but, but he was in he was in several episodes of Agents of Shield.
4: Small world. Not remember that. Um
3: yeah, and, and then they referenced him on, on Daredevil. So it was it was intentional. Um
4: Yeah. Huh. It, it feels I don't want to say this because it might not be true. It just felt like the films didn't think the shows
3: were good enough to be part of their universe. Um, Ooh, but... pretentious. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> i honestly think that if anything it might have just been logistics because yeah. tv production and film production take wildly different amounts of time and add in the factors of marvel television and marvel studios not being part of the same entity even though they're both part of marvel slash part of disney um there i'm sure a lot of you have jobs where even even things that should be working closely together don't work closely together very well because they're different different uh, parts of the organization I don't know what you're talking uh, about multi- <laughs> multiply that by a hundred and you have corporate Hollywood uh, so the left hand never knows what the right hand is doing um, that's why bringing it all under Marvel Studios control it, going forward everything is going to be a lot more tightly connected because it will be Kevin Feige overseeing it instead of Jeff Loeb over here, Kevin Feige over there. And then every once in a while, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, go do a guest spot on Asian right. Shields.
0: I think there's also a case oh. to be made for these. They don't want the same audience going to watch these shows to watch the Marvel movies. Think about yeah. it. You can't have Daredevil in there. Some kid's like, oh, this character, Daredevil, he's so cool. Let me go watch his show. And then somebody's eye gets scratched out and there's a knife in there, you know, like. Yeah. So I think there's...
1: Other adult things that might happen. Right.
0: (laughs) And so I think it makes sense that they wouldn't want those characters to be together as much of a shame as it is. The Jessica Jones one, I don't think there is any child that should be watching Jessica Jones because there are a lot of adult Mm -hmm. things that happen in that show that kids should not be watching.
1: some adults shouldn't be watching Jessica yeah, Jones. That's a good point. Um, that being said, my big takeaway is basically everything we just talked about. <laughs> Same stuff. Um, the 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 MCU lack of crossover. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. But I also think these two episodes in particular, my big takeaway is just how hype they, these two episodes in particular made me for the rest of the series. Because... Like I said, my knowledge of Daredevil before this show was Ben Affleck's Ugh. disaster of a movie. Um, and also, again, we said this at the very beginning, but man, the intro is catchy, you guys. Uh-huh. I I love the intro to the show. It is so fun. Like the music is really cool and like the outline of all the different things. It just it ends on a cool note. I, I really like, I think all of the Netflix shows have a cool intro tune. Mm-hmm. Um but this one was the first one of them, so it was like, oh, this is neat, and it set a precedent. It's kind of like how the intro of shows like Game of Thrones really... I don't know, like, show intros used to be kind of bland, and somewhere along the line, someone made a really cool one. I don't know what the first one is, but people started picking that up, and then you get, you know, all of all of Westeros being formed on a, on a steampunky-looking map in Game of Thrones, and then you've got... You know, all of these Netflix series having their cool things, and I, I, I like, like
3: they like. There's been like a pendulum swing of right. it used to be elaborate TV intros. Let's just show the title. Let's go yep. back to elaborate TV right. intros now. Yep,
4: I think I'm glad you said that, Peaches, because that was my reaction the first time I saw it. it. It's these credits are great. It has me hyped for watching this show all over again. Also, it has me sad. Although my sad was not about that. It's not really a part of the larger MCU. My sad was that it's, unless something happens, it's over. Like, we don't, Daredevil is done after season three, and I know you didn't, you said you didn't watch season three. First off, you need to go watch season three, because it might be the best season. But second, it really just sets it up, sets itself up to continue, and it's really, it's not that it ends with a big cliffhanger or anything, but it definitely sets itself up for the kind of stuff that can happen in season four, and there's not going to be one, and that's
1: depressing. Yeah, I'm curious if we ever do get these characters. If they do try to reboot it, or if they try to grab the same actors and actresses, and just kind of like pretend none of the adult stuff ever happened. <laughs>
3: you know? yeah. Right. There are some conflicting things out there about whether they can or can't use the use those actors. And I believe they can. I think there is sort of an exclusivity agreement with Netflix that they can't necessarily do anything with those characters until a certain amount of time has passed since the last new season of each respective show. But once that time has passed, I think it's like five years or something, so honestly we're coming up on it for each of them over the next few years, then Marvel can unrestricted use those characters again. Doesn't necessarily mean that they can distribute the show. I don't know what... The, but. What people, I think, don't understand is that distribution deals and rights holding are two different things. Um, I understand, because I wanted a Hobbit trilogy, and then I regretted that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of making things darker and grittier than they need to be, R-rated Hobbit movie director's cut? Seriously? That's the thing? Anyway. Um, but yeah, I, so I, I think... I think that eventually there is nothing stopping, like, like once, once the terms expire in the next few years, there's nothing stopping them from saying, hey, yes, let's, let's bring back these actors as these characters. Um, whether they decide that they're going to do that, I, I'm sure that that is stuff that they're discussing because I'm sure that they're looking to possibly use some of these characters down the line because there is great potential for them. And it could even be the sort of thing where it's like a soft reboot where it's like, okay, we won't discuss necessarily anything specific from the show, broad strokes, we won't have to go over their origins or anything again, but we can introduce, is it Charlie Cox? I get a lot of my Charlies confused. It's Charlie Cox, yeah. Um, Yeah, but uh, we can introduce Charlie Cox as Matt Murdock, have him be Daredevil, have him be established as Daredevil. We can broadly allude to some of his past adventures, but not have to get real into the weeds on him. But now he can be part of our greater universe. So I think that that is an option, but I could also see them just saying, you know what, let's just start fresh because uh, a lot of the people, you know, people will understand that they, they can sort of make the separation and say, all right, yeah, it's, uh, we're starting fresh. So, so I think that both options are on the table. I would love for them to, connect things in the future again even if it's not you know explicitly i need to have now watched all three seasons of daredevil to understand what's happening in this movie um but just to even have the feeling of continuity i think would be would be a great thing
1: i'm i'm curious what you'll think of each of the characters that they might bring in if if and when you end up watching those series because i personally really like the way charlie cox handles daredevil uh-huh. Um, so I would definitely like to see him play with some of the other characters that exist, in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am three and a half out of four <laughs> on <laughs> all of them. Um, I, I, and to just really quickly touch on iron fist. I, fi- I don't know if it was bad writing or if it was bad acting. I remember personally thinking it was bad writing because I liked that actor that played Danny Rand from game of Thrones um, the small yeah. amount of Game of Thrones he was in. So I was like, I don't think this guy's a bad actor, um, but he's also in a wildly different setting than in Game of Thrones. Yeah. So maybe this isn't his scene, but I also thought it was more about the writing. Anyways. Um, in Defenders, I think it was mostly the writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, can... I, I would like to see Charlie Cox Daredevil in the future, but I also know that if the MCU is going to reboot something, they're going to do a good job and they're going to. They're going to cast a good daredevil, mm-hmm. no matter who it is.
0: I think as far as Iron Fist is concerned, I think they are recasting Iron Fist, but they're recasting him as Shang-Chi. And I think yes. that, is, yeah, just, that is their yeah. writing of that shit because I think they realized they made a mistake there. I think there were a lot of people calling for an Asian actor to play um, Iron Fist originally. Yeah, and there was a lot of people upset that they were taking this character that you know, in a large part appropriated a lot of that culture, and then kept him as sort of a white centric story, the sort of you know, Tom Cruise Last Samurai type of.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: To be fair, and I'm I'm not on the other side of this argument. To to be fair, Iron Fist's character is a white dude that knows kung fu, but they could have chosen to take a different route and use a different character yes. instead of gentrifying.
2: Well, I, Yeah, I think that's know? people's
0: people's plight, is that yeah. even though it yeah. is a white character, that doesn't necessarily make it a good thing that it is a white character.
2: Right. Yeah, make, right. make right. him
3: an Asian-American character Absolutely. who does not necessarily have any real connection to his culture. You can tell the exact same story, <laughs> um, uh, basically, as having a white dude Absolutely. do it, um, but with an added wrinkle of, you know... You know, maybe someone connecting to, I mean, I don't know if Kunlun, I know Kunlun is fictional, but if you're putting it in China or or Japan, I'm not sure where Kunlun is supposed to be um, in Asia, if it has an actual like analog, but have it be, you know, him now reconnecting with his heritage in a way that he never had before. And I think that that's fertile ground for storytelling uh where you know you could still have him be the rich american guy just happens to be a rich am- asian american guy instead of a, a white guy who is like and i am the greatest master of kung fu in the world it's like eh. and he it's... wasn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that was a lie <laughs> yeah.
0: you know i think we circle back to the top of the episode when we talk about iron fish with chadwick Bozeman and black panther and how mm-hmm. groundbreaking and stage setting that was for all their cultures to then seek their representation on the big screen. And I mm-hmm. think, um, the actor that's playing, um, Shang-Chi, I'm not sure his name. Um, one of you guys will look it up for me.
3: I'll look it posted, up for you. Yeah. I just saw his, he
0: posted yeah. a tweet that was basically like, there would be no Shang-Chi. Simu
1: Lu? Simu
0: yes. Yes. Um, he said there would be no Shang-Chi without Chadwick Boseman because there would be no Shang-Chi without Black Panther. Those things don't exist without the other, Um, which gets me excited for any Hispanic superheroes that might come up and it gets, you know, any, anybody who wants to see themselves on screen uh, excited. So once again, thank you, Chadwick Boseman. Chris, what was your big takeaway from uh, the first two episodes? And this is really interesting because this is your first watch. So it better be good. Yeah.
3: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I it's something we actually <laughs> talked about a little bit earlier. I said Marvel, but for grownups. I mean, it is very much leaning into the yeah, we're we're the MCU, we're Marvel, but we are going to be violent and we're going to deal with mature themes. And and my big takeaway is that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I know I'm I'm saying it tongue in cheek, not necessarily a bad thing. Also, not automatically a good thing. Sure. But I like it so far.
0: Well, and I think it's important because that's exactly how the comics are, right? Like Marvel Comics as a whole isn't just every single comic comic is in this theme. Marvel Comics are, these are dark comics and these are, you know, Mm -hmm. comics about a spider pig and these are comics about, you know, like more your traditional comic stories and they sort of are well into that wide spectrum. So it is good to see them being represented like that in media Mm -hmm. as well.
3: Yeah, I love it because I think that it's, even if they don't connect, you know, one-to-one, it's all part of the same universe, and that is fine. That, you know, uh, a high school comedy like Spider-Man versus, uh, you know, a really gritty crime story like Daredevil, you know, in the comics, they all exist. Real life, they all exist. There are people in real life who are living a much grittier life than I, who am working from home and recording a podcast with my buddies, you know, but we're all part of the same world. So why shouldn't that be that way in the stories? Uh, Not every story has to be part of the same tone to be part of the same universe.
0: Well said. Well, that's going to do it for our first experiment. The first two episodes of Daredevil are in the books. Join us the next episode where we talk about episodes two and three of Daredevil.
3: Episodes three and four. Episodes
0: three and four of Daredevil. (laughs) We We like that hallway fight so much. (laughs) We're actually going to start at the hallway scene again and just go from there. Uh, Okay.
3: Actually, I'm going to tell you why I watched that fight scene twice is because apparently it was queued up to exactly the fight scene when I started it on Netflix today. And I was like, oh, I forgot this was the beginning of the episode. And the credits roll, I like, oh, no, I guess it was the end of the episode. Let me watch it again. <laughs> uh,
0: but, yes, join us next week as we watch our next episode. I don't know if it's going to be next week. Join us next episode as we watch episodes three and four of Daredevil. Um, once again, thank you, everybody, for listening to the show, for taking the time to listen. We are about to hit five thousand downloads of assembly required and mc retrospective which is insane so thank you guys so 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 much uh for listening um ooh. if you would like to email the show you can email the show assembly required cast at gmail.com find the show at assembly cast on twitter you can find these fellas phil kid three gator sax twenty ten d underscore peaches abcd eduardo one for myself that's gonna do it for myself for robbie for chris for peaches Wakanda forever.
1: Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever?